All right, Justin, I'm going to throw you for a loop here. I want you to sing me your favorite Christmas song. <laughs> really? My favorite Christmas yeah, song? Yeah, Justin, sing me your favorite Christmas song. Man, it'd probably be that one. Have yourself a merry little See, you already Christmas. fucked it up. You actually sing a song. Haha, <laughs> you lose. Heather, go. Oh, my. This is a trick. This is all a trick. So I will not sing one. Well, you lose because I know you like Christmas, too. So that means oh you're lying and you lose. How was I lying? I said it's a trick, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah, but I, the, <laughs> I the, I the assignment is to sing it. And I know you have one. And the fact that you're saying you don't. Because you're not singing it, it's like a lie by omission, and that's cheating, and you lose. Oh, so, yeah, you didn't like that we did what we did last week with our songs, so it's punishment. It's punishment, because you sang Christmas songs last week. Multiple times. There were multiple Christmas songs sang last week, and I just want everybody to know that will not stand. But because you're fair, you had to give that to me last week, but this week is punishment. Nope, that's just the rules of the week. Mm, so, got it. So you both take losses. Ha 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 That really puts me in the Christmas spirit, I'm not going to lie. I feel all warm and toasty <laughs> inside now. I feel like chestnuts on an open fire. Oh, man. Which makes me wonder, has anybody actually eaten chestnuts on an open fire? No. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of no. ever. Like... <laughs> Everybody talks about no. it all the time. I don't know a single Not motherfucker a that's actually roasted chestnuts on open fire and ate them. Correct. So, man, I'm on cloud nine now. I'm all happy. It's a good way to start an episode. Oh, geez. It's good times. And you know what? Also, in the sake of fairness to our listeners, we're going to go ahead and cue that intro music and not have a 20 minute intro. Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And today we are doing a twofer for you guys. We're going to talk about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on Netflix and a uh, other little known movie called Black Bear starring Aubrey Plaza. We will talk about what we like, didn't like, and everything in between with those movies with time codes in the description. So, you know, if you need to jump around because of what you've seen or haven't seen or whatever you can, we will give, uh, we will go spoiler free, give our recommendations and scores, and then go into more spoiler centric sections for each movie. But first I just want to take a little, little quick timeout, little quick one. I promise you this will not be long because it's mainly just me that has this issue. So they released the coming to America sequel trailer to this week okay and it's coming number two america you know to know it's the sequel which whatever but one of the big conceits in the trailer is that akim needs to find his trailer or find his trailer what the fuck he needs to find his son because <laughs> he finds out he has a son from new york but i want to know when in the first movie he fucks someone else and that really bothers me that they're doing like such a hardcore retcon or something like that. 
Like, I get it that they do that a lot with some of the stuff, but that's such a big swerve from what the first movie is just to justify the second movie. Like, they couldn't come up with any other reason for somebody to go to New York City ever. Like, fuck, couldn't, what's her name? Lisa just wanted to see her family? Couldn't it just be that? Do they want to go see her family? Like, I just don't understand the need of that. And it just really bothers me. And I wanted to say that. And so do do either one of you two have any thoughts about that? I mean, I know you guys aren't as big of a fan of the first movie as I am or seen it as many times as I have. It's just, it bothered me. And I wanted to say it out loud. That's all. I mean, I, I only saw the original movie once. So for me, I'm not like, you know, super big fan of the movie in the way that you are, but yeah, I mean, I just think in general, for me, the trailer didn't make it look like it was going to be a super interesting movie. I don't know. Maybe that was just me. But yeah, no, I understand that because it's also like, yeah, especially these days, it's like there's so many reasons why someone could be like, oh, I want to go to America. You know, like it just a more interesting and more original reason would have been kind of cool, even from the get go. Because it might draw you into something to say, oh, they're doing something very different this time. So I agree. I could see your your issue with it. Um, as far as my, I'm concerned, I'm probably more along the lines of in Heather's camp. I've probably seen this movie in its entirety, maybe one time. And then I want to say, you know, maybe just being at other people's houses or friends or family's houses, it probably was on. Or somebody was watching it and, you know, so I've caught parts here and there and different things like that. But um, but as far as just having a fandom for this movie, this never really was one that where I could say I was a big fan of it. Um, is it funny? Yes. Um, and I understand why people like it, but it's just it, it was just never one of those I guess uh, Eddie Murphy movies that I tend to lean towards. I, I just tend to prefer Eddie M Murphy when he's really doing some acting. So, you know, I, I just sort of lean towards performances like that, like what he did in dream girls, um, you know, movies kind of like that. So I think, you know, I always think he's stronger when he's doing that type of dramatic acting. So this, I mean, I know what this is. I mean, will it probably be funny? I'm sure it will. And, you know, you're going to get uh, Eddie Murphy in several different costumes, playing several different people and stuff like that. Uh, so it was kind of giving me that, I guess, nutty professor kind of vibe, I guess, um, with some of that. And, uh, you know, it was kind of leaning. It, it felt like there was quite a bit of that in the trailer. So I was like, okay, is the movie going to be a lot of that or a little of that? So, you know, it was kind of like, okay, you know, I mean, I may watch it if we plan on reviewing it, different things like that. But that's never really been what got me in the door with Eddie Murphy. So, yeah, I was just kind of neutral on it. I guess we'll just kind of see what happens, so to speak, when it's released. Well, and I guess that's what's really kind of funny about it. As you said, like him playing the different characters give you, gives you the Nutty Professor's vibe. And it really that really shows just where you like were introduced into Eddie Murphy, because technically speaking, 
Coming to America is when he started that. Like these characters that he's doing in that are the same characters he did in in the first one. I'm sure there's a couple that, you know, they're going to add a few and all this other stuff. But like, that's where it, it, it started in his movies was coming to America. Him and Arsenio Hall playing multiple characters. And so that I just think that's funny that that's where like it just shows where you like were introduced and where like you really started following Eddie Murphy or any point in movies just based on that. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember a little bit of that in coming to America. But like I said, this seemed like it was going to be quite a bit of it. And I don't know, some of those characters, I didn't recognize them, so I thought that maybe they were added, but it could just be the length of time. I mean, it's been years since I've seen that movie. So, well, (sighs) you know, so I don't know. So I didn't recognize all of the characters that I saw. So I was like, oh, man, is that going to be like all over the movie? And so the last time... I remembered a movie where it was just heavily saturated with him playing multiple characters was that. So that was just the instant, I guess, vibe I had. But but no, I get what you're saying uh, with that for sure. I mean, because of the characters I remember from it, and it could be that I just don't remember it showing, you know, new characters he's doing it with. But it was like the barbershop characters, which are him and Arsenio Hall and one other guy. Uh the Reverend, which are, is Arsenio Hall, and uh, Sexual Chocolate, which is Eddie Murphy. Um, yeah, I mean, you could be right. There could be more of those, and they could be doing it more in this movie, you know, which I do think would be bad because we don't need that again. I think if they peppered them in like they did in the first movie, I think it'll be fine, you know. Mm-hmm. I do think mm-hmm. it's one of those things to where by doing the barbershop guys, it's they're excuse to probably do something super offensive and just be like ah well it's old guys so we'll see (laughs) yeah could be and wouldn't those people be like a hundred years old at this point they would be dead because but i think that that's the funny thing about it is they look the exact same like these characters don't look like they've aged in like 30 years or 25 years or whatever it's been you know so I think that that is kind of the funny thing about it is those characters look the exact same, but we'll see, you know, and that's all. That's all I wanted to say. I just wanted to bring it up because it bothered me and it's movie related. So I thought it was fair. I agree. See, I think that's the first time in the last few episodes where we've gotten a very quick in out on our little extra <laughs> <tight> topic. 15. <laughs> well, we're sitting at not even 15 minutes now, including the intro. I mean, the last two episodes, we didn't even make it out of the intro in 15 minutes. So let alone starting the movie topic an hour in, which I understand for you guys listening to this, it's shorter. But record time, it was like an hour before we started the actual (laughs) topics. I just cut a lot of silences out and it balances out. So um, anyway, yeah, let's go ahead and start the the movies. Uh, so I guess, yeah, let's start with uh, Mal Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, like I said earlier, we will go spoiler-free recommendations and scores and then spoilers with time codes in the description. And just because I know Justin was talking about this on Facebook, we'll start with you, Justin. What are your spoiler-free thoughts on Mal Rainey's Black Bottom? Okay. And yeah, when on Facebook, what I had uh, touted was just um, kind of just giving um Chadwick Boseman a Cujo's because I really thought that 
this is probably his best performance. Like when I think about the character that he plays in this, this Levy character, that was such a layered performance um, that this character that he was playing. And I mean, he really just played this with a lot of emotion and there was just this volatile kind of tension field uh, feeling with this character. There was anger in this character. There was real tragedy in this character. And I really think that it is the standout performance of this as well as, as well as Viola Davis did as well as the people in the so supporting cast did. I mean, I really feel like Chadwick Boseman just really just took this thing by, took the driver's wheel and he really takes this movie where it needs to go. And this type of movie, this is my kind of movie. Now, I found out later after watching it, just kind of, just doing a little more research on where it came from and stuff, that this was actually a stage play that was made into a movie. So, this kind of film is right up my alley where you just get, I've said it many times, this is meat and potato cinema, if you ask me, where you just, you put some actors in a room, I don't need a whole bunch of camera jump in, special effects, all that other craziness. I just, just give me actors in a room and let, and let them go. Let them do their thing. Let them talk about some real stuff and let me see some real pain, some real drama and some real emotion and this movie brings that in spades so if you're like me if you like that kind of cinema I really think that you'll dig this and at the heart of it like I said it's very very simple you've got some musicians coming together with uh you know you got Big Ma and her and this is her band this is uh she's a blues musician and one of the biggest and they call her the mother of blues and so she's getting with this band and they go to this place to record this song and then what ensues is what starts is just a simple project to record some music but then all these things unpack and I mean and without saying too much everything is in here there's stuff about pride in here there's religious stuff in here there's stuff about racism and the relationship between whites and blacks and how volatile that was at that time. There's the, there's a message of culture preservation and things like that. All of that is in here. And then there's just these people and how they interact and relate to each other with all of those overlapping stories and layered things that you find out later on. And everything is kind of unraveling why these people are acting that way and that's usually what makes a movie great it's not so much all the time that actors or that characters are doing things it's to me it's always about the why and usually if the whys are good that makes a move that usually separates a good movie from a great movie so that's what this movie is it sets you up with a simple premise but then you start getting down to the why of these people why they act this way why they need to be a certain way and it 
it all comes together. And I think it was great. And like I said, there's real tension in this, but it's not tension like, oh, is the bomb going to blow up before James Bond gets over the mountain or whatever the situation is? It's not that kind of tension, but it's the tension of attitudes. It's the tension of dialogue, like two people and you can feel that the conversation is getting more aggressive and you feel like it is, and it's so volatile and you feel like, man, these are combustible elements that could blow at any moment. That's how the movie made me feel throughout several parts of it. So for me, this was a joy to watch. I was surprised by this. This was one that I didn't see coming. And I think that for this to be Chadwick's final performance, I think this is an Oscar worthy performance. I would be shocked. Dare I say, maybe a little angry if he's not mentioned for the 2020 best actors. That's how confident I was in this. That's how I feel about this. So yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this and I highly recommend it, especially if you're that meat and potatoes type of cinema watcher and you like stage plays come to life. You know, there's been plenty of movies like this. Um, I mean, all over the place fences. I mean, there are just so many examples of, like stage plays made it to movies. Not all good. I mean, I guess technically cats was one too, right? So you got that. So you got one that could be like the worst thing ever. But to me, this is when you get a good one, when you get the right cast, when they are more focused on the story and the acting and everything like that. And not so much everything that's wrapped up around it. And and that's what you get. You get actors just getting to do their thing. And that's always going to be a plus with me. Heather, what about you? So I will say I went into watching this movie with a little bit of, um, you know, thinking that I not having like an expectation, but just feeling like I want to be cautious going into the movie because I had heard so many things about it and heard so many things about like the amazing performances and Chadwick's great performance, but I wanted, I wanted it to be a good movie and good performances for the sake of it being good and not just for the sake of the reality of, you know, what's happened with Chadwick and things like that. So, you know, because I do know that sometimes that is something that happens, you know, you, you miss a certain actor and their performances. And so, the last thing they do tends to be the thing that you remember the most or enjoy the most and things like that. And so, you know, I, I was just hoping that going into this movie, I would actually be able to see it for truly what type of movie it was and what type of performances they were. And I am happy to report that it, it is, um, it's good on its own. You know, it's not just because of what's surrounded it. So, um, I did end up watching this um, a second time through, and I'm actually glad that I did because once I knew what the actual story was about and what was supposed to be happening in the story, it helped me to be able to focus on some things, you know, dialogue wise or just in the background, things happening that I didn't notice before. So I am glad that I watched it through another time. Um, I will, I do actually agree in the sense that this is. I do think this is by far Chadwick's most dynamic performance. 
I think he's never played a character like this before. I think that he went to very profound depths to kind of create and make this character who it was. And I think it was a very, very solid performance. I think he did a really great job with it. And I mean, it's just, you know, I, I've always, you know, been a fan of him, but I do think that this is the most unique type of role that he's played. And it showed a lot more of his range as an actor. Um, and then I do, I also, of course, I have to just give credit to Viola Davis because, I mean, I think they were equally as fantastic. I think both performances kind of stand out in their own way. But it's almost like that thing with, um, like with A Star is Born, what we talked about, where, you know, one person's on a level that you expect them to be on because they're consistently good, who is Viola Davis. And then Chadwick kind of surprised me a little bit. Not that he's not good, but just what he brought was a bit unexpected to me. And so he, he kind of just rose to that occasion you know, to be on the same level as Viola Davis, who I am a massive fan of her. So I think they equally had very great and standout performances on their own for different reasons. Um, but I also think that, um, I think his name is, it's the guy who plays Cutler, um, Coleman Domingo. I actually really enjoyed him as well. He, um, he was kind of like the, the reasonable one, the the sounding ear for people, you know, the more level-headed one. I think he gave a fantastic performance. I'm also a fan of him. He's in the show Euphoria that I like a lot. Um, and he's just, he's really great in that as well. He's so good when, when it comes to like moments of like monologues and things like that. He's just very, very gifted in that area. So yeah, I mean, I do have a couple of issues with this movie. Um, I think it was beautiful though. I think the costumes, I think the, the way it's shot and everything is very, very good. And it has that feel of, you know, 1920s and the music and everything they do with it. It is a very well-made movie in that sense. Um, again, I'll, I'll go into some things that I did notice that weren't really things I liked about it, but overall, this is a solid movie with very solid performances. I will say, um, I think the performances themselves are better than the movie as a whole, probably, but just very slightly because it is a solid movie. So first and foremost, and I hate to do this to you, Justin, but you did give Chadwick Boseman his evil demonic dogs because you did give him Cujo's, not kudos. I, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. It's just funny thinking about it. Like you said it and I wanted to say something then, but just the mental image in my head was just too great. So oh, I just, it, it happens. Don't get me wrong. Like, like I can really say anything. I fuck up common words all the fucking time. But I mean, I, what I said something about his son or whenever I called him a trailer, like, don't, yeah. He, he went happens. to look for his trailer. <laughs> yeah. He went to go look for his trailer. I get it. It happens. I just, like I said, when you said it, the mental image in my head was funny. Because I just <laughs> picture you like walking up to Chadwick Bozeman and just giving him a copy of the book Cujo by Stephen King. <laughs> um, But that's neither here nor there. Uh, so I am very conflicted about this movie. 
because like Heather, I was very kind of skeptical about this movie because we so often like tout the greatness of people that die. Sometimes it's valid and sometimes it's not. I mean, I understand where people are hesitant or now unsure about the greatness of Heath Ledger's Joker in the Dark Knight because of his death. And I'll argue that that's not justified because his actual last movie is the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. And no one saw that movie. I think like five people in the world have seen that movie and I'm one of them. And just the sheer fact that nobody went and bought or watched that movie when that's his actual last role. I mean, he died in the middle of filming that I think shows that it's less about him dying and how great of a performance he was as the Joker. Yeah. So now we get to this, you know, and I got double hesitant whenever I went to Netflix to watch it because you look at the like the little the little thumbnail of it. And it's all Chadwick Boseman and you open it up and they've got like the banner above everything and it's all Chadwick Boseman again. And I didn't think he was a main character in this movie. I knew he was like a main ish character. I thought Viola Davis was going to be the main focus of the movie throughout before we before I watched it. So I was like, oh, they are hardcore playing into Chadwick Boseman. And I'm like, this is not going to be it. It, low, it lowered my expectations even more seeing all that. Then once seeing the movie, you do realize Chadwick Boseman is the main character of this movie or, you know, or the play, however you want to look at it. He of the story. He is the main character. So, yeah, thank goodness for that, because I really thought Netflix was really hammering it in like, oh, he's got the last Chadwick Boseman movie. Yeah. You know, so kudos that that. He is actually the main character that made me feel better after I watched it, at least. Um, and before I talk about Chadwick Boseman's performance in this, I do want to give a shout out to two wire alum that are in this movie. When you've got Slow Drag and Toledo, both of those guys yeah. are from The Wire. And if you've ever listened to an episode of this, you've probably heard me mention something about The Wire. I do it a lot. Um, typically, if it's anything based around a TV show, I probably bring up the wire at some point. So that was just really nice to see them. They were both I didn't so good. Toledo was in there. Toledo's the mayor. Oh, is he? He's the mayor. Yeah, the mayor. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You know. Interesting. Okay. And I don't even want to talk about who Slow Drag is because I love that character, but he's one of my favorite like surprise elements of the wire. So. I like to leave him be, but he's great. Um, but yeah, yeah, Toledo's the mayor. Um, he's the guy that uh, what's his name catches getting uh, oral sexed upon. So uh, yes, yeah, and then Littlefingers beats him in an election. So um, but so I did, like I said, I want to give a shout out to them because you know it's me, The Wire, love it. Uh, I didn't know the guy that played uh, Cutter. Really? I'd seen him, I guess, in a couple of things, but I didn't really know him. I mean, he did he did a very fantastic job. I do love that it was just like a one, a two, a you know what to do. Love that. <laughs> just, yeah. And it was every time, but it was just so smooth every time, you know. And I loved I loved his sense of realism with everything. Like, while Toledo and yeah. Slow Drag, they had obviously been in the industry as long as he had. 
he was just infinitely more, I still think just more realistic about everything and unapologetically slow. All these hopes and dreams and everything that Levy had and all this other stuff. He was like, yeah, you can think that all you want. It's this in the end. And he was right. I mean, I honestly can't think of a few times that he wasn't right. Every time he was saying that shit in this movie. Uh, so that's, you know, it, it just is still one of those is a very solid performance from a guy I didn't know. So that, that was just a nice thing. Um, I think Viola, what Viola Davis did, and I do not mean this in a bad way. It will sound bad, but I do not mean it in a bad way. She was fine. I don't mean that as I think she was acting below her level or anything like that. It's just that part is relatively small in the context of the whole thing. I, maybe not small, but not as prevalent. It, well, I don't know how to say sort of this. Like the Mr. Rogers thing where he's not yes. the main character. Yes. Like it's very much. She is Mr. Rogers in this. Like, but unfortunately, I don't know the real story. Like in depth behind Ma Rainey as I did Mr. Rogers. So it doesn't connect with me on that level, but it's, she's like the name of the movie, but not the focus of the movie. You know, all the events take technically take place around her and because of her, but she's not the actual focus of the movie. And like I said, she did fine because honestly she did just, she went out there and Viola Davis did. <laughs> and I think if you've seen enough Viola Davis, you know, that's a good thing. I mean, she went out there and she did her job and she did it very well. And it's just, she just did it like she always does. You know, I mean, Nothing I kind of feel kind of thing. I kind of feel like she's a very, like an accelerated form of Meryl Streep. Like it took us a very, not a very long time, but it took Meryl Streep a long time for everybody to just finally just go. Oh, every time she does something good, it's just like we take it for granted. We take Meryl Streep for granted at this point, because even when she's in a garbage ass movie, she's good. Yeah. And I think we just accelerated that with Viola Davis. I just if I see her name on something, I just expect it to be a just solid quality, great performance every time. Even as what's her name? Amanda Waller in the Suicide Squad. She did good. Yeah, the movie might be garbage, but she did oh, her job. <laughs> everyone else in that movie sucked. Amanda Waller. I was like, yeah, no, that's Amanda Waller. I thought it was very good. <laughs> you know, I think we accelerated it with her. So I'm not gonna lie. I'm maybe and it's like bad for me to say this, but maybe I just take her for granted at this point. I just see her. She goes out. She does her job. It's great. You know, and so like when I don't see that, then I think that's more of an issue. Like if I don't see her do a good job. It registers more with me than when I guess when I see her do a good one because I just expect it. Yeah. You know, that makes sense. I actually get what you mean. So I and I, I like I said, I mean, no disrespect for it. It's just she did what she always does. And I applaud her for that. You know, I don't want to make it sound like you know, like, you know, don't want to say that, you know, that that's not a good thing or that. You know, that's just what she should do. So she doesn't deserve credit for that or anything like that. No, she does. She deserves all the credit in the world for it, because there are a lot of actors that would be put in the same situation she's been put in and they would not deliver the consistency that she does. So I just 100 percent I'm behind it. But 
I just can't say it blew my mind or like stood out or anything like that because it's just she did what she always does. And considering all the other performances around her were good, it doesn't shine even more. Like like I was talking about when I talked about Meryl Streep. She shines in the Iron Lady because every single thing around her is the worst possible thing in the world. So when she's doing greatness and it's surrounded by the worst shit ever, it shines so much more so. So in this, she's great and she's surrounded by greatness. So it's just greatness. So it, I will say this. She was never outshined, but she also didn't outshine anybody else, which yeah. is also a good thing. I think that sometimes we do take that for granted, too. When a good actor doesn't necessarily outshine somebody else, when they're not the focus of a movie, bringing it back to Tom Hanks in 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 that movie, the Mister Rogers one, he didn't outshine the other guy, which is amazing. Yeah. Like that takes talent to be a side character and be an amazing actor, right? And not outshine yeah. the lead. Yeah, when they could probably act circles around most people, and they they're just on the same playing field. Yeah. Well, I think everybody in this movie could act circles around a lot of people. That That is true. But yeah, no, I get what you're saying now. But I liked the fact that she played her role to a T that when Levy is essentially the main character, she has scenes with them. They have dueling uh, aspects to their roles, but neither like I. Like Chadwick doesn't necessarily outshine her at any point. Like he doesn't like, you know, steal the show. But I like the fact that as a more side character, she doesn't steal it from him. Yeah. And I think that that's a very important thing sometimes that gets lost. And I'm not going to lie. It's we've also all done it where we're talking about a performance and we're like, oh, my God, this person stole the show. And they could be a side character and they stole the show. And maybe it takes something like this where it is just all these consummate professionals working to make you realize that's not always a good thing when a side character steals the show from a main character. Yeah. While you give them credit for their acting ability, you do have to put some blame on the director, the script, and partially some of the actors for allowing that to happen because you should never pull focus from the main character, narratively speaking like that. So anyway, I've gone on a very long time about that. We've got so much more we could talk about with it. Um, but then on to Chadwick. Chadwick did a very good job. I think my problem with his performance is not his fault. I think it's the fact that it was a play becoming a movie. I think at times his reactions and the way he would flip emotionally happened a little briskly. And I think that that's because this is a movie. I think on a play in a play where you're on stage and it's not a musical number. So you don't have like a time you have to keep with. You can let some of those emotional stories breathe a hair longer. You can have a statement made and then your emotional response back to it. Take a hair longer, just like little bits like of just breath in there to, to, to help it really sink in. And because this is a movie you don't get that kind of ad lib to play with. You don't get that emotional. Let me play it through. Like I'm feeling a little different about it tonight. I want to play it a little differently. And I think that that's where some of those monologues and everything he has can really, really shine, you know, and with a movie, you have to kind of be more at that. Yes, you get some different takes and stuff like that, but you do kind of have to do things 
the same pace. Sometimes you, you can't really fuck with a lot of that because if you don't get the whole thing in one take, it makes it harder to cut two different versions of that into the same thing, you know? So you have to really rely on full takes every time. So it's, it, it's a nitpicky thing, but I think it's deserved because honestly, because of how good he did, because I think a lesser actor wouldn't, wouldn't have made me care enough to feel that way. Like a lesser performance, I wouldn't have cared that it needed a little bit of breath to it. I'd have been like, yeah, it just is what it is. But I think it's because it was so good that I wanted it. I wanted it to be a little bit more umphy. Like, I mean, my best way to describe it would be something like in this, like a musical solo, like a jazz solo. Yeah, when you do like a recording, you get that solo and it is what it is. But you know what's more fun about a jazz solo or a blues solo on something? When it's live and it's what they're feeling at that moment. And the bare bones might be the same, but there's those little tweaks and that little bamness to it that I think I, I would have appreciated more in this. I mean, I think it, it works across the board because I know Justin's like, you've seen Metallica live, right, Justin? Yes. You know, like when you've got, what's his name? Kirk Hammett or I don't fucking know them, but you know, the, the, little, you know, the guitar guy, um, like when he plays the solo on the CD, it's a great solo, but like when you hear him live, they do tweak it a little bit, you know, there's just little things tweaked here and there just for the flavor. And I, I just, I think because he did so well, I want to see it with that flavor. And unfortunately, because of it being a movie and not a play, I couldn't get that. It's weird that I'm more or less complaining that his acting was so good that it caused some problems for me. As weird as that may sound. but Yeah, I mean, it's, it is funny that you say that, though, because that that's kind of like a little bit of what I was going to sort of discuss in the spoiler section in some cer- certain scenes. But it, it's almost just kind of like things that happen immediately before some of these great monologue moments that Chadwick has it's almost like those moments right before don't warrant the amazing dialogue he's doing right after that makes sense and that actually was the probably the biggest problem I did have with the movie was also just that like give it just a little bit more like lead up to why he is getting so emotionally invested in what he's saying you know what i mean so i actually completely agree and that's that's sort of a little bit of what i was going to talk about too so yeah well i mean let's be fair let's i mean let's hold off on that part of it now as i know i took it too far so let's hold off on it just so we can do it in spoilers and we're not ruining anything and then that way you can expand upon it even more uh but no I, i i get what you're saying on that um any more thoughts before we do move on all right recommendations and scores heather go Yep, I recommend it. It's a really good movie. Um, you know, it's not a perfect movie by any means, but it's it's different. It's a it's a unique story. It's got really powerhouse and um solid performances in it throughout, and it's a beautiful movie and um it's it's just a very interesting one, so I do definitely think that it is worth it, but sort of like what Jason said, you know, you have to be somebody who really lo- loves a dialogue heavy type of movie that has depth to it and um, kind of like layers to the conversations and what's being discussed. But that's why I I liked it as much as I did, because I do love those types of, um, you know, that type of dialogue in stories and movies. So 
if that's your thing, I think you'll definitely like this movie. Um, my score is, um, I'm going to say, I'll give it 80, um, broken microphones causing to have to redo a whole recording session out of a hundred. Justin, what about you? Uh, yeah. Um, I definitely recommend this movie. Uh, like I said, I didn't really have, I don't think any of those issues that y'all were describing. I just, I thought that this was straightforward. I thought it was easy to follow. And I thought, and I felt like it just has, it really is just about the acting that that really is what this movie is. It really is just, it's like, like we've said, it's dialogue driven. It's about these characters, like I said earlier, explaining their whys. That's really what this is. You, you get the exterior of a character. And then as the movie goes, you get to understand why characters feel this way about things or what their mission statement is or why, or at least the main ones, the main ones, you get a sense of why they are the way they are. And. When I walked out of it, I didn't really have any questions. I think I fully understood what it was going for. And like I said, this is a movie based on a play. So that that's really where it, it, it's at its best is just when these actors get to act. Um, but, but I found it exciting. I liked the tension. I liked the volatile attitudes and kind of the explosive elements that it has with these personalities coming together and kind of being in a hot, uh, you know, in a enclosed area on a hot place and then having to kind of confront each other's ambitions or the ways that they see life and things like that. And I just think that all of that worked for me uh i don't think that there was one performance that was bad i think all the performances are good but i really think chadwick is great here uh much like what heather said this is his most unique and i think layered performance that he's ever given so if you're a fan of chadwick i think you gotta see how his last performance went and i mean i don't know when it comes to actors and them dying and stuff like that i really think that it's an either or kind of thing i've seen movies where the actor where it was their last movie and uh honestly it was nothing to write home about there was nothing great about it and i didn't see anybody pushing it because it was that actor's last movie i mean I, i've seen some that never moved the needle and then you see something like keith ledger and the joker and regardless of what people say i i mean i'll tell you straight up i don't care what they say he's awesome as the joker in that movie and there's just no getting around it it's the best cinema joker there is i mean just period it, it's the best one you know I, to me that is a we, you can debate it yeah. all right but you're gonna lose that argument <laughs> you will lose uh, you will lose i will make sure of it 
uh, and to me, this is kind of in that same light. This is his best performance. And like I said, he should be nominated for an Oscar for this, not because he died, not because people are sad or any of that. Although, yes, it is an untimely death. And actually, after watching this, I was like, my goodness, I miss him even more now, because if he could do this. I, I promise you, you will have the same thought that I had. If he's capable of this, what else could he have done with the rest of his career? What else could he have done if he was alive? What other movies, other roles could we have seen him in if he was alive? And that aspect of it just made me go, man, dude, I, I miss him even more now because of how great he was in this movie. And to me, th this is his best performance. I, I don't even know if there's even really a debate, you know, like I said, you could try, but I just think that this, he he really just nailed this. And I think that this was a different character. Like Heather said, I've never seen him play this type of person with this type of energy and this type of vibe. And then when you get to the layers of this character, when you get to understand the tragedy of this character, I felt that it all came together quite nicely for me. So, yeah, I think that this is one you got to see. I think this is, has some of the best performances I've seen in the 2020 movies this year. And for meat and potatoes guys like me, that's enough alone to recommend it. Um, as far as a score, I'm going to go, well, I'm going to go with 92, uh, broken records because a little kid keeps stuttering on his lines and we got to break them because we got to get them right until finally he gets it right and we can move on with the blues song out of a hundred i mean with this like my issues with it i think more stem from the sometimes mixed bag of translating a play to a movie it doesn't always work because of things that are inherent to the way plays are versus movies. There is differences. And I think some of the, the, the monologues and stuff like that are more centered around what happens in plays than in movies. And it doesn't, I don't think it translates with the full effect. I say that with the caveat of, especially for on Chadwick's side, because he is the more monologue heavy actor in this movie. I say that with the caveat that thank God you had Chaswick Bozeman doing it because of what you guys have said. This was an amazing performance by him and a lesser actor would have made it worse. And it's like I said, it's a very nitpicky thing on my side, but he made the absolute best of it so much so that where I, I understand where you're coming from, Justin you're not bothered by those aspects of it. And I totally understand why I'm not, it, it, it doesn't sway me back or forth, like where it's like a truly bad thing. And like I said, I think I, it's just because he did so well that it bothers me a little bit. Cause it makes me, honestly, this movie makes me wish I'd seen these actors do a stage play of it. That's what it makes me want so he could riff a little in some of those instances with the pacing and the, in the way he would phrase things. And 
pauses and everything like that. That's what I want to see. I want to see him. And I know I can't, but I'm just saying it made me want to see a stage play version with these actors is what it made me want more because it'd be more true to how this was written. And I think we could have seen even more specialness from it in that instance. Now, outside of that, I do think it is a very, 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 very good movie. And I know using the word good can have negative connotations behind it. Because why wouldn't I use an adjective that's even better? Why wouldn't I use great? Why wouldn't I use this and that? I'm using good solely because that's how I felt when I watched it. As weird as that may sound, like on a, a cinematic experience, it made me feel good to see something like this. You know, I wasn't necessarily happy watching this because it's not a happy subject matter. I think happy would be a wrong emotion to feel watching this. Appreciative, I understand, but like happy just feels weird to me. But like I felt good because as a movie goes, it checks the boxes you would want it to check. And I think 2020 has just shown that sometimes that's very hard to do because we have watched so many fucking movies that don't. Or like when we're doing our worst list, we've, we're watching so many movies that don't check boxes that they just should. And so it makes me feel good that this movie did. And while I understand my adjectives may not add up to what my score will end up being, it's just that's the words that makes me want to say. So with that, I do recommend this movie. And as the score goes... I'm going to give it 94 stories about selling your soul to the devil in the name of blues out of a hundred. Spoilers. Huh? Yeah. Like okay. I said, my adjectives might not line up with it, but, and like my nitpickiness might make it sound like it doesn't line up with it, but I think it's because it was so good that it makes me nitpick it because the greatness is what, what I, it makes me see some of those little, like little flaws even more because if it was mediocre people, I wouldn't have cared enough to notice those things. Pick it. Yeah. I gotcha. And I love me a story about a motherfucker selling his soul for blues. That's one of my favorite things about like blues lore is you always have that random guy that they talk about who was like the best blues musician anybody ever heard, but he never sold a record because he was just always playing in bars and all this other stuff, but he's the best one ever. And it's all because he sold his soul to the devil. And like, that's such a common thing in blues history is that idea. And I love it. It's so good. It just adds to the dirtiness of it all. And I love me some dirty blues. <sighs> good times. Anyway, spoilers. Yep. Yep. Um, I mean, as far as spoilers go, like I said, I think, I think some of the things were just like, I hear, I, I, I want to say rushed. I know that's not necessarily the right word, but like they would say something and then like Chadwick Boseman would get upset and then it would go into like a monologue of like about his childhood or something or some event about why he reacts that way. I think it was just they were just a tad quick on going from them saying something and him getting upset and then it was just a little quick into his monologue 
Like, it was just a little too quick into it. I just wanted, like, like I said, I want a breath. I want a slight pause. Just a hair longer before going into it. And then while you're giving it those pauses. And I, like I said, you get those in stage plays. You get those because it's live every night. And a lot of it is just the actor's natural, I need to breathe. And, or something like that. Or they're feeding off energy from the audience. Or something like that. It's that audience factor that I think really boosts these monologues in plays. That when you're doing it without an audience, in a, like in a movie, you lose that little aspect of it that makes those so great in a play. And I, like I said, I just, it's, it, I understand it. It is so nitpicky because it is so good, but it's just a feeling I get, if you will. And I, and I do, I, I, I want to like address something you've said, Justin, like when you call this like a meat and potatoes movie, I get what you mean by it because it's a, it's a bare bones movie. I mean, this movie is, Story, dialogue, acting. That's it. There's nothing else to it. It's bare bones. But I do feel like saying something like meat and potatoes is slightly disingenuous to what this movie is. Because it's a very high-end steak and potatoes. Like, this isn't like, you know, meat and potatoes that your mom just made. Like, this is going to a fucking steakhouse and you're spending like 120 bucks on a steak. And you're having the best mashed potatoes of your life with it. Like, and I get why you say that. It's just, to me, it doesn't feel like it's quite appropriate to this movie because it's a lot higher quality than that, you know? And, and I understand that's also, that's nitpicky. See, that's what I'm saying is this movie makes me nitpicky about weird things because of how good everybody did. And I don't know why. So maybe I'm going to let you guys go. And that's going to be very short for me. I understand. But maybe I'm going to let you guys go while I ponder that a little more, because I don't think I realized how nitpicky I was about some of these things until we started talking about it. So I haven't really put the thought into it. But like I said, I do know it's because it was so good. That's why I feel that nitpicky. I just don't know what about this brings it out of me. I will say this. I 100% agree with you, Justin, that this does make Chadwick's death suck even more because we had seen good performances from him, and then he gave us this. Yeah. Where the fuck would it go after this? It makes you feel like there's one movie out there that you could have seen the greatest performance ever, but he died before he could make it. Yeah. And yeah. I think in my comment earlier about like the actors dying and stuff like that, you're absolutely right. We have had actors die, and nobody gives a fuck about their movies or anything like that. It's the, it's the surprise ones. I think that that's what I'm talking about. It's the surprise deaths that make people like really, you know, sometimes unjustifiably. So praise the last movie because we didn't see it coming. Nobody knew this was going to be the last movie. You could kind of see it on the wall. I mean, where you had something like Sean Connery who passed away this year. He hadn't made a movie in like what? 10 years, something like that. A very long time. League of extraordinary yeah. gentlemen, whenever the fuck that came out, you know what I mean? Yeah, nobody's nobody's going back to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen after Sean Connery <laughs> dies going, you know what? Underrated. <laughs> yeah, ain't nobody doing that shit. <laughs> because you know why? You'd already seen it and made up your mind that you never wanted to watch it again. <laughs> oh, <the leak. laughs> you know, 
It's it's but it's something like this where somebody dies before the movies come out, though. You know what I mean? It's and it's the surprise. It's, you know, somebody in their 30s or 40s. It's you're not expecting them to die. You know, I think that that's when you get those things. I mean, honestly, an actor that comes to mind with that. And this is really off topic, but kind of not. But it's Brittany Murphy. I knew no one that loved her and her movies when she was alive. I mean, outside of something like Clueless, where she did a good job in that. But nobody's talking about like Uptown Girls. I mean, like, oh, my God, I loved Uptown Girls when it was out. And then she died. And then, oh, my God, so many people like Uptown Girls, their favorite movie now. You know, that's it's that that type of thing I'm talking about. You know, there are people out there that talk about how they they miss. They miss Brittany Murphy and all her acting roles. I'm like, since when? Nobody talked about her like that when she was alive and making movies. And I'm not trying to say she's a bad actress or anything like that. I'm just saying her death changed the narrative on whether or not people loved her and her movies and stuff. Because I just, I never heard it before her death. And then after her death, people, people loved it. So it's things like that, that I just don't quite understand those aspects of it. And I do know people, there are a lot of people that do talk about Heath Ledger like that now with the Joker, you know, that is brought up, you know, I'm not saying it's right. I, I agree with you, Justin. Those people that say that we love Heath Ledger as the, the Joker is just because he died. They are wrong, like wholeheartedly. They're just yeah. wanting to be contrarian about something. They want to take something that's great and go, no, 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 I don't like it. Right. But they're wrong. Like, empirically so. There's like scientific proof that Heath Ledger was amazing <laughs> in that. Right. <laughs> Pretty much at this point. I mean, it's scientific like fucking one of the greatest law. performances I've ever seen ever. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're just on some bullshit, you know? And I think a lot of them are saying it now just because they want to justify their shitty love of the new Joker movie. I think that that's really what it has to do with. They want to love that <laughs> shit, like shit fest of a movie. So they have to tear down the actual good Joker to justify their shitty Joker. You know, I feel like that's what it has to do with, because that's when I started hearing it. I don't remember hearing it as much. Yeah, you would always have that one asshole that would say it, but I don't think it was as prevalent of a statement until Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. And now they're just like, oh, well, you know, we kinda just like, like that Joker one person, kind of like that one person who doesn't like get out. So that's a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's that one fucking asshole of a critic that does that to movies everybody loves. And what's his name? I want to say his last name is White, but he does that all the time. Like you'll have like a quiet place and it's all getting rave reviews. And he's just like, you know what? It sucks. <laughs> or like get out. He's just like, you know what? There's nothing good. And I mean, I get it. He's the skip Bayless of movie reviews. He just says a bunch of shit that, you know, he probably doesn't even believe. But you know what? People click that link. He gets those website hits because he says something controversial about a movie. You know, I will say this, Cinefans. When I don't like a movie, I mean it. I know a lot of people might think that I might have been contrarian about Avengers Endgame. You know what I have not watched since I saw it in theaters? Avengers Endgame. You know why? Because I don't give a fuck about ever watching it again. I haven't for a different reason. It just makes me too sad. But yeah. <laughs> 
And I own it. I own that fucking movie. And I've still never watched it since then. And that's just because I'm an obsessive compulsive asshole. And I owned, what, 20 something other Marvel movies. There's no fucking way I'm not buying it. Do you know how bad this is going to be for me in like 10 years when like Marvel stops making good movies? And I'm going to be like, I own the other 57 of them. I have to keep buying them. You know how much my life's going to suck with that? (laughs) But no, that's we're way off topic now. We're talking about Avengers Endgame. But I just I really I really kind of hope with what you said, Justin, I hope people give this movie a chance. I hope people watch it. Everybody has Netflix. Are you guys ever surprised when it's like, oh, like like 75 million people have Netflix subscriptions? And I'm like, I don't know anyone that doesn't have it. Like, it's so weird. Like, I'm just like. Who are these other people that don't have it? Everybody talks about it. How do they not have them? I mean, I guess they're sharing them. I mean, I guess that's the, that's why. But I'm just like, everybody watches Netflix, though. So even if you don't have a subscription and you're using somebody else's, watch this fucking movie. It's right there. It's no, it's just as easy to watch it as when everybody watched that shitty fucking Tiger King bullshit. It's just as easy. You do it the same way. You just go and you find it and you watch it. It's right there. It's Netflix. Just watch it. Uh, why don't you guys go now? Jason, go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I guess just to talk about some of the things that um, that I liked about the story and why I feel that it just worked for me is because now I've never seen the stage play. So... I mean, you know, so I I can't in good conscience compare it. You know, I don't know what about the stage play is different from this or if it's better than this or anything like that. So if I were to bring up the stage play or anything like that, that would just be pure speculation on my part. Uh, but I can just speak to just what I felt watching this and just some of the things that I got from just this movie experience, uh, just watching it the whole way through. And for me, one of the things that I loved about it the most is just that, especially now in today's times, there's just been a lot of talk about systemic racism and you know social justice is a big thing right now and you know everybody's kind of learning about some of these historical things whether you're talking about the confederate flag or aunt jemima and different things like that and just all of these sort of things involved in the the relationship between black people and white people and just about the the culture and uh, how that has been kind of played with toy wit manipulated how it's been uh how it's prevailed how it's failed just different things like that and when it comes to black music i think that that is a subject that Maybe you don't hear spoken about as much, but I think that what this film does do is it reveals that a lot of these problems and issues that these characters are having are still kind of issues that are prevalent today you know maybe not things that you think about especially like with blues music and things like that but you can see that you know, a lot of that music and a lot of the emotion behind it, the people who 
sing that music and a lot of the attitudes that they have are grounded in a lot of the things that we as a society, American society, are talking about today. So you saw that with a lot of these characters. And I guess that's why it, no pun intended, struck a chord with me because I could see a lot of those parallels. And I guess I just understood where some of these characters were coming from with some of those things. Like take uh, Ma Rainey, for instance, and just the way that this script this story writes her, you know, and and to me, that's what this was. It was like, first you would be presented with like the surface of a character and you see her and she seems like, like, like definitely she's got this kind of queen attitude and you see the way that she's acting with people and she seems really bossy pushy very aggressive you know she's gonna get what she wants and you know you're you're seeing her act this way and i could see an audience member sitting there and going well why is she like this why is she so like just forward and aggressive with everybody and it just seems like like i said you know you're watching this and everything every conversation it just seems really volatile combustible like it could just blow up at any moment and then what the movie does is it gives you a monologue or it gives you an interaction with the character and then you begin to understand more of why that character is the way they are and what they've gone through and what their experiences have shown them and things like that and when you see her what she says just reigns true. You know, she's like, man, the the reason why I act this way is because these people, they don't really care about me. They just want my music. What they want is my voice. Yeah. What they're infatuated with is my talent and what I can do. And I can't tell you that this has always been something that has kind of existed in that relationship with blacks and whites in this country. That is something that has always existed. You've heard black speakers and people just talking about the history of black people in this country. That is something that is said often. They, you know, they love to make money off of our talents, off of our work, off of our abilities, different things like that. But do they really genuinely care unless they see dollar signs, unless they can make money off of it, unless they can, uh, you know, push it in some sort of way. And whether you're talking about conversations today, whether it comes to people who play sports and, you know, I don't want to hear their opinions on anything. I just want them to play the sport and entertain me. You know, a yeah, lot well, of that is should- true. Is the shut up oh, and dribble. Ahead. Yeah, shut up and dribble. A lot of that reigns true today. So when you get to Ma Rainey in this, and she's saying, man, they're going to do what I want them to do. They're going to be in my beck and call. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to drink my Coke. I'm going to have my nephew or whoever he was do the voiceover announcements. I'm going to get what I want because I know that they don't care about me. So I'm going to milk this for everything it is. I'm going to get what I want. They're going to wait on me hand and foot because I know what this is. They're going to use this. They're going to use it for whatever intentions they have. 
um, I know that they're going to try and use this. So that attitude that that just struck me because I think that that is an attitude that is prevalent today. And you could just see how why she had that attitude. And then you understood why she was that way, why she was acting that way. She felt like she needed to. This was her music for her. Like she was talking about in that monologue when she said, you know, for me, blues is just a way to represent life. It's a part of life. It helps life. It's got it's meaningful to me in that way. It's more than just something to sell or music. It's ingrained in my culture. Part of it is my struggle. Part of those rhythms and my voice, I'm talking about my experiences and my things, my culture in this country. And they don't see it beyond, they don't see that at all. All they see is just something that can make money. So you kind of understand why she's like that. You know, you understand when she says those things that just hits home and you understand why she's the way she is and why she feels like that. And whether you feel bad, like, man, I wish she didn't put up that exterior or wish she had to be like that. Or whether you're like, yeah, I understand why she's like that. The bottom line is that her hardships, her time in this society made her that way. And that that's what she's a product of. She's a product of seeing this happen to so many other artists. So this happened all the time. And that is why she is the way she is. That's why she has that attitude. And that's why she feels the way she feels about that. Also, the Levy character that Chadwick Boseman plays much of the same kind of deal. You know, it starts off and you can tell that he's ambitious. He seems charismatic, but he seems way arrogant, right? Like he's always talking about his talent and well, sooner or later, I'm not going to have to do this. I'm not going to have to be here. And he, and he just seems to have these high ambitions, but he seems like he's acted better than everybody else. He seems like he's got this, um, like he's got this arrogance about him. And at first he didn't really come off as likable to me. He didn't, you know, the way that he was acting towards everybody, everybody else seemed a little more level-headed. Everybody else kind of seemed like a little bit more cooler, a little bit more on the up and up. And he seemed like he was all about himself. He was all about just what he was trying to do and his ambitions And that's what the movie shows you at first. But much like with the Ma Rainey character, it peels it back. And then when you find out, and as he's monologuing, which he does beautifully and so excellently, when he monologues that story about what happened to his mother and the fact that he was eight years old and he couldn't do anything about his mother and she was victimized by these people that broke into their house and how that affected him. And then what what his father did when he, that whole story about smiling in those people's faces and then the whole time planning a way to get them, planning a way to get back at them for what they did to his wife, smiling, going with the flow, buying his time until he could liberate or avenge or make right what happened to his wife and everything like that. 
I mean, so much of this kind of stuff reigns true today. You hear the same kind of things today. Sometimes in this society, you got to play ball, right? You got to cooperate. You got to eat some shit when you don't want to. You got to smile at some people's faces and you got to talk the way that certain people talk and you can't be yourself and you got to put up this exterior until you get where you want to be, until you get those opportunities and then you can be the real you. You can be where you want to go. But sometimes you have to be with the executive, what the people in charge want you to be like all of this stuff. is just so relatable now. And see hearing that character say that and finding out what drives him and what motivates him. It was just very, very tragic. And then when you understand that, now you understand. You understand why he doesn't appreciate it being called a fool. And to me, I, I didn't too much have a problem with the pacing. Like you would, Chadwick, I thought played it well where he would react to certain things that other characters would say. When they would call him a fool or something, he didn't take too kindly to that. And you could see that sort of affecting him like something they were saying was getting through to him and the way that they made fun of him when they said look how you bend over backwards for this white guy and this uh for these executives and this record label owner and look how you're at, you know so subservient to him and stuff like that you talk a big game like you're gonna be this start your own band and be this person but look how you act around them and you could see that some you could tell before the monologue that there were certain things affecting Kim and, and you didn't know why you didn't know why he was being so triggered but when you get that story to me it made perfect sense it all came together I thought that they handled that beautifully and then tragically those tragic things that that motivated him that drove him that gave him that ambition those were still those things were the very things that ultimately crushed him in the end. You know, he, that that was kind of the tragedy of that. Like he was so ambitious and he wanted that for himself so badly. And then the moment that he didn't get it. And, and there was so much going on visually with that, with those scenes too. And I guess that's why sometimes it can be advantageous for a stage play to be in a movie because there was just a lot of visual things that they were doing. And that's what a movie can do when it's good anyway. Like the whole conversation that happened with, um, and I forget the name of the, uh, the, the music label owner, Mr. Schneider cough or whatever his name was. Sturdivant, I think, or yes, Sturdivant, yes. Certivant, something like that, right? But that whole conversation on the stairs was very telling because, and see, I kind of hearken to this in Parasite with the whole visual analogy of the stairs and a person being above someone and them trying to get to their level and stuff like that. And all of that was playing out in that scene. And that's kind of something you can do with some movie magic. And maybe you could do it on stage if you have the, the proper setup. But again, never seen the stage play. Don't know if they have this or not. But I loved how in the movie, how you had that guy, you had that record label, Certivant, we'll just call him that, Servbot. You, we, we had him on the, on the steps, higher up, right? And you had Chadwick Levy 
the Levy character trying to get up there, right? Like he was trying to climb up there and talk to him and trying to get him, hey man, you know, you read my songs, right? Come on, man, are you going to give me this opportunity? And you see the guy going up the stairs, getting further away, and then you see Levy trying to follow him. But come on, man, why don't you just give me a chance? And then there's a moment where they're both on the same level on those stairs and he's right in his face and that's him at his most confident but but also that's him at his most desperate this has to work this that this has to be something that works i was supposed to get this deal you were supposed to give me this opportunity and then what sort of happens in that scene as the, the record label owner pulls away from him. He gets higher on the stairs and now and eventually he gives him the note, tells him, well, I played it with my band guys and, you know, we're not going to go with you. I'm not going to sign you or give you any opportunities. And what happens? That guy continues to go up those steps until he's out of view. And then you kind of have Chadwick there by himself, unable to get up there. And then it, it's no surprise to me that whenever that happens, um, one of the characters, um, uh, Slow Drag, steps, or I'm sorry, Toledo, sorry, Toledo, steps on his shoe. And the shoes represented something too, right? Because what do we often say when we're talking about progress, right? You're taking steps forward. You know, you, the, those shoes represented where he wanted to go. They were expensive. They were nice looking. And that was the life he wanted, right? He got those shoes because it represented, because he thought he was moving in the right direction. And see, this is why... I love shit like this. This is why this is my meat and potatoes, steak and potatoes, filet mignon and potatoes, whatever analogy you want to use. Um, you can have them all right now. But this is why I love stuff like this, because those shoes even represented something. He was trying to take steps forward. He had this plan. He had this why. And the shoes represented that. You know, it was like the guy's rock, the, the kid's rock in Parasite. That That's what that represented, man. It was where he wanted to go. It was his ambition. And what happened? He wasn't able to land that deal right with that with, with this record label, with, with Mr. Cybernetic Schneiderkoff or whatever his name was. <laughs> I'm sorry. I keep it's Sturdivant. <laughs> Sertivan, there we go. Mr. Sertivan. He wasn't able to land the deal with Sertivan. So, and then, you know, I think it's very fitting that the last straw was that those shoes got stepped on and got scuffed. Now, if you're just watching this at face value, you may go, well, why did he stab the guy over his shoes? Maybe you don't understand that. But, it's not really about that. It's what that represented. You know, that was that that was his ambition and everything. And that step on those shoes was like the last straw that, got, you know, Toledo had called him a fool a bunch of times, had kind of, you know, kind of wasn't. You know, it kind of that they had gone back and forth, and they didn't believe in each other's philosophy. Um, Toledo was all about, you know, we as a people need to do this. We need to be better, and everything like that. Which is more speech that you hear now about minorities and rising up and different things like that. But 
you could tell that um, Levy looked at him and saw somebody who wasn't doing anything himself, or at least he wasn't, um, or he clashed with him because he was out there trying to get it done. He was out there trying to hustle. He had this plan, and those shoes represented that, and they got stepped on, and they got ruined, and it was less about the ruined shoes and more about the fact that this plan that he had, this why that he had, it was ruined. It wasn't going to happen. Those hopes and dreams, he saw himself losing those things. And in that moment, that's why he snapped. That's why that happened. That's why he did that. So those very ambitions that got him to that point, that got him those shoes, that that that, that ambition that represented these steps he was going to take in life, those things were the things that destroyed him also because he couldn't bear when those things didn't seem like they were going to happen for him. So I thought that that was beautiful, but very tragic and very poignant of what often happens to black people in this country, especially with their culture, their music, their talents. And then what do we see in one of the final scenes? His song that he wrote and gave to that guy made five bucks off of it. Um, and what was happening? There were a bunch of white musicians singing his stuff, recording, making records and making money off of his talent, off of his culture, off of his voice, off of his lyrics. And that is sometimes the reality of certain people in this country. You know, that is the reality sometimes of what happens in this country. And it also kind of is in line with Ma and why she was so reluctant to just give them what they wanted because she kind of knew what this was. So that's why I love this. And that's just two of the things I didn't even touch on. I'm going to stop here to give somebody else a chance to go, but I didn't even touch on some of the religious things that were in here. And that was another, I'll just say this, that was another great part by uh, Chadwick Boseman when he took the knife out and he was um, confronting Cutler and he was like, I'm, I'm giving God a chance to save you. And then and even though he acted like he was going to attack him in that moment, what it really became was like this plea of why me? Like, God, why me? If there really was a God, why couldn't you protect my family? Why couldn't you protect my mom? Why couldn't you protect my people? If you really do exist, if 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 God really does love us, like everybody says, why do we have to go through this? Why did our ancestors have to go through this? Why do we have to hurt so badly in this country? And why would a God stand for that? And I've heard that viewpoint too. I've heard that from people. And what, regardless of what side you fall on that or not, this is not an anti-religious argument, but I just want to say that, that those thoughts, those emotions are out there. They do exist, especially um, in the black community. I've heard speakers talk in that same light, in that same breath. So to me, there's so much here just beyond a bunch of musicians getting together to record a record. And what really is great about it is all these underlying themes you get about 
music, culture, and just this volatile relationship between uh not only whites and blacks, but also the relationship between different blacks and how they relate or see this country that we live in and how they're all kind of trying to make their way and have their own philosophies about how to get there. Well, to drop into some historical context with some of that, when it comes to like the blues at that time and stuff like that, um, one reason why Ma Rainey had so much power uh, when it came to her record contract in the studio and all this other stuff was the fact that during that time period, one of the few musical genres that black people got to make their own music for essentially for white people was blues mm -hmm. because white people wanted to hear black people sing the blues. They didn't want white people singing the blues. They wanted black people singing the blues. So that's one reason why Ma Rainey did have that power is because, yeah, they could have given her songs to, you know, to white women and all this other stuff. It wouldn't have sold as well. So that is one reason why she did have some power, but it's also the same reason why Levy, they essentially stole his song. He didn't write a blues song. He essentially wrote that time period's equivalent of a pop hit. You could give it to anybody. It had way more yeah. mass appeal to just anybody. So what they do, they paid him five bucks and stole the song and gave it to other people. So they would make more money on it because that would sell the song he wrote would sell as long as you just in generally got people to do a good performance of it. But when it came to the blues, Mal Rainey had more power because that's what would sell would be her singing it. Where that started to change was a couple of decades later with essentially what a lot of people would call like rock and roll and stuff like that. That's when uh, black people started to lose that aspect of it because you would just do a rock version of a blues song. That part of it would translate. And then they started sealing those again, i.e. Elvis's entire career. Yep. You know. But it's 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 rock music is what allowed them to steal it. But before rock music, blues didn't translate as well. So that's what it was. You know, that's why white people would buy those the black artist blues records. You know, so that's just some like historical con uh, context to some of that is it was, you know, that she weirdly did. Like you said, Justin, she had that weird like power dynamic back then that was very rarely, you know, heard of. And it's just because that's what would sell. But when Levy was coming for, with something that was even more mass appeal, it's a lot easier to steal that because there's not anything inherent into it that is that personality that people wanted, you know, because a lot of it had to do with like fetishization of of black women, especially back then. You know, you might be racist but you still wanted to hook up with a black girl. Mm -hmm. They're exotic. They're mysterious. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's the same reason why you can be racist and still do something like that. That doesn't make it, you know, you know, not the same thing. You know, it's where you get people like Thomas Jefferson having children with a bunch of his slaves. It's very hard to own people and then still consider them your equal 
when it comes to relationships like that. And so with this, it's it's the same type of thing, because especially the type of blues that Ma Rainey was singing about, there's a lot of sexual innuendo and sexual overtones with it, you know, so they wanted her singing it because it's like you said, Justin, it's it's like that exotic temptress, you know, and I mean, this phrase that I'm about to say is going to sound kind of harsh, but it's very uh, applicable to like the mentality and stuff like that. It's, you know, it's it's like a black temptress, you know, trying to like tempt your white pu- uh, purity. Yeah. That's like that. It's that mentality with it. Yeah, it is. It is. You no, know, you're right. And and it makes them feel it's it's that fun kind of dirty. Like, I know I call it dirty blues, but it's it's because it's sexual blues, you know, and but it, that's what it is. It makes them feel dirty because the song's about sex, but but they like it, you know, and, you know, they like that dirty feeling they get with it. And that's why it's very popular. But and that's why you want Ma Rainey singing it, you know, and so while she used it to her benefit, there were tons of other people that got fucked over for the same thing. But I mean, also like more power to her for being able to actually benefit from it. You know, her life, she was making her money on it. That was the good thing about it is she was still making her money on it in a time when black musicians typically wouldn't like best case scenario. You were a band player for a white guy, mm-hmm. but she was the face of it. She got to make her money on it. And like I said, more power to her because that was relatively unheard of back then. Um, Heather, what about you? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to kind of bring up any additional things that we haven't talked about because I, I completely agree with pretty much everything that's being said. But yeah, I mean, I think um, and that's and that's I think what I loved about uh, Viola Davis's performance of Ma Rainey is just that power that she brought to it and that that confidence that she just exuded with it and just knowing her worth and just not letting what the white men around her were telling her define who she was, you know? And so she just kind of flipped the script and said, you know, Hey, you guys need me. (laughs) So I'm going to take advantage of that. And you're going to treat me the way that you would treat any other, you know, white singer coming in here, making a record for you, especially because the ones that I make sell more. And I just love that. um, I just love that aspect of, of how she did it. And, completely loved her explanation of why, you know, she's just like, they don't actually care about me, but I am going to, I'm going to use this to my advantage because, you know, they're going to respect me. If they, if they want to use me like this, they're going to respect me. I'm going to make sure they respect me. And I think uh, that's, that was something that sort of spoke to Levy's character a little bit too. Like even he respected Ma Rainey, even he like saw what an incredible thing that it was that just even the white guys that she was making records for just did whatever she wanted, you know, and that's something that he aspired to to be and do. And I think that for Levy, a lot of it is, it was a respect thing. It was, it was like a, it was a pride thing for him in the sense that he wanted to have that respect. He wanted to make something of himself and even with the shoes, I think the shoes, it was a big thing of, 
you know, I have these shoes. These are new shoes. They're mine. They're clean shoes. They're, they're new. I bought them and it made him feel like they will respect me now, you know? And I think that's just a, a big driving force of his mentality and his cockiness that he had and just the way that he would speak down to people. It's just because he, he had like this false pride that he was trying to make real, <laughs> you know, when deep down, you know, that it was kind of like a show because he, he, he wasn't, I feel like the character didn't actually feel like he was, you know, a big deal and that good and, you know, whatever, but it just made him feel better to kind of put that outward face on because it, you know, kind of like that fake it till you make it type of thing. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's sort of what he was trying to do a little bit with that because he just wanted that respect so much. And that's why it seemed like his emotions were probably so like right at the surface all the time. And, you know, I do, I do think that every bit of dialogue that Chadwick does as Levy is fantastic. It's fantastic dialogue. You know, his motivations, his reasons, his thinking, it's great. But again, kind of like I was saying earlier, um, I have the exact same problem with it that Sterling does where it just felt like, you know, just give me a little bit more of a beat, a little bit more of a transition or um, lead up to him having those emotional driven, emotionally driven dialogue moments. That's the only thing really that I had an issue with. And and again, I was thinking the same thing. It was probably just the translation of it from being a play into a movie. But everything he said was on point, dead on, amazing performance. It was just, I wish that there was just a little bit more of like a build up to, you know, he's having fun with these guys and they say something that irks him. And then he just immediately goes into, no, let me tell you everything about why I feel this way. When I just feel like there could have been just a tiny bit, a little bit more of a lead up to to him, to that type of dialogue and conversation from him happened. So, um, but again, like it was just, it was really captivating to sort of hear him, you know, kind of give us a peek into his life and his mindset. And, and I, I agree. I loved the dialogue with him and, um, and Cutler where they're, you know, sparring and, you know, just having that religious debate. And, you know, he just kind of has this breakdown of like, you know, (laughs) pretty much just pleading with God. Um, It was, it was really powerful, honestly. And I think part of that is why I sort of feel like this was like a more profound um, character for him. Um, Because my understanding of Chadwick Boseman is that he was a pretty outspoken, like, man of faith in his personal life and to kind of just kind of play this character that's like, Nope, I'm not having any of it. I, you know, I, I take care of myself. Nobody's looking out for me. You know, I hate everything because I feel like I've been mistreated for forever. And he was like, he had a terrible life, you know, Levy's character. Um, and you know, you just, you get this understanding of why he feels that way and you start to feel for him. And I agree, Jason, because at first I'm like, this is like an arrogant, cocky, immature kid. Like that's what he seems like when he first comes on the, the screen, you know? And then you kind of get these peeling back these layers of who he is. And 
it's really well done because they do it very tastefully and they do it a little bit at a time. But, you know, it was just, yeah, I, I just think that he, he was, he was so dynamic in this. And I just feel like he had to go to places for this character that in any of his other movies, you know, he didn't, he didn't really have this type of layered character. Or if he did, it wasn't something like that wasn't what the story was trying to show you. You know, he plays a lot of, he played a lot of like real life people. And so it was like, yeah, of course they have layers and everything, but you're trying to tell a specific story about events that happen with these real life people. And this was just like a character and him just kind of bearing his soul and coming to terms with who he is. And it was a really vulnerable performance. And I really, really loved what he did with it. But, um, I mean, it's really just a lot of the back and forth that the guys in the band had with each other was just really, really good. And I think that's really, those were some of my favorite moments of the film. Um, but again, Ma Rainey, I mean, she, some of what she did, like, again, it was so amazing, like with the Coke, you know, she was just so adamant about like, if you want me to sing, you're going to get me a Coca-Cola, you know, like just <laughs> these demands that she has that aren't even big demands, but just a way for her to be like, no, you're going to respect me. Like if anybody else asked for this, you wouldn't have a problem doing it. So I just, I really loved how she really took charge of her identity and her worth and knowing that, you know, they, they needed her more than she needed them type of thing, you know, cause she kept mentioning, I'll go back on my tour. I don't even want to be here. I'll go back on my tour. I don't need you, whatever. And I just thought that was a really awesome way to, to kind of show the strength of Ma Rainey and who she was and, and why she was kind of the queen of the blues, you know? So yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I just think that the performances are just so, so good. And, um, I even liked the nephew, <laughs> the one that was trying to do the line and kept stuttering. I really liked him. I don't know why he was just very enjoyable to, to watch him do his thing on the screen. But, um, you know, I just, uh, the only, aside from that, like they needed a little bit more of a beat in between like emotional transitions. Um, I did notice like editing wise, a couple of things that were off, um, mostly in the scene where, um, Levy and Dusty May are together and, um, you just, you see like that there's <laughs> dialogue happening or like there's supposed to be like laughing going on or words being said. But when you look at them, he, you know, Chadwick's mouth isn't moving, you know? So I think it was just an editing thing. And again, probably reasons that they weren't able to go back and like fix that or change that, which is fine. But again, I think it's one of those where it's being nitpicky about a movie. That's just so good that you're just like, okay, well, if I have to pick something about it, you know, the story's great. The way it's filmed is great. So you're just trying to find things. If you're going to say, okay, these are the things that are wrong with it. So again, it's a, a nitpicky thing, but just more noticeable to me in this movie than I had seen in others where, you know, dialogues happening, but no mouths are moving. So just kind of like an editing issue, but, um, otherwise good movie, aside from the transitioning emotionally with things. But yeah, I just, I just think it's a really, um, it's a, it's a very good movie to just really, it, it's just a very different type of story 
but also historical in a lot of ways. So I think it's definitely something that they should make more movies like that, honestly. So I, and I also agree that seeing like the play version of this with these actors would have been really great. So any other thoughts about this movie guys? Nope. No, we went really long on that movie. Um, do you guys want to call an audible and just give our recommendations and scores for black bear and then just do spoilers, just not do a spoiler free section, you know, cause we can kind of sum up that a little bit in our recommendations and scores. Yeah, that works. Okay. Cause I still want to talk about it cause we did say we would. So we just went really long on, on this movie. So yeah, let's go into black, uh, black bear then. Um, so recommendations and scores for that. Uh, Heather, go. Yeah, this movie was, um, I didn't fully know what to expect with this movie. And it was definitely a mind trip. <laughs> and it's it's definitely deep and also a layered movie. And there's a lot to unpack in it. But it's it's a thinker. It's one of those where you, just, you really have to pay attention to what's going on. And it just really kind of makes you mull over in your own mind like, you know, what's real, what's not real type of stuff. And, um, but it was by far, I think Aubrey Plaza's best performance that I've ever seen her do. I like her, but I think this is her best performance. I think it's a, also a unique story, very original. Um, and one of those where you could watch it over and over and still find things that you probably didn't see or notice the first time around. So for that, I would say, yeah, I recommend it. Um, again, you have to be into movies that have heavy, profound dialogue and, you know, movies where you have to pay attention to what's going on. So, um, but yes, I do recommend it. I think it is good. Um, I'll give it, I think I'm going to just kind of give same, same score I did for Ma Rainey. I'm going to give it an 80, um, um, sitting on the dock by the water, pondering life out of a hundred. Justin, what about you? Um, I also like this movie too. Um, again, this is, uh, just one of those kinds of movies that I like. I mean, this is another movie where, uh, it's definitely more indie, uh, not in the same, it's not in the same spirit as Ma Rainey as far as just that kind of, it is dialogue driven. And yeah, most of this is just the acting. You don't get a lot of different sceneries and different things like that. So it, it does have some of the elements as far as it's very uh acting heavy and things like that. But this is a little more indie where everything is kind of predicated on a premise. And I feel like um if you understand that premise, like if you go in knowing that this is a visualization of the creative process, or you could maybe say the creative writing process. I think if you know that going in, if you watch it with that lens, everything makes complete sense. 
like you you understand exactly what's happening you understand certain elements and you can and it's really fun to come up with theories about what things represent that process um and, and i really feel that audrey plaza yeah this is definitely the best uh acting i've seen her in i mean she really kills it in this and uh it really just shows the potential that she has and i hope that more roles for her come out of this because man she really was awesome in this and if you're a fan of her if you liked her in Parks and Rec and if you just like kind of the enigma that yeah that's a good word the enigma that Audrey Plaza is you get all of that in here. There's the Audrey Plaza kind of awkward comedy is all in here, but then she gets to be emotional and broken, and you get to see um, that type of acting, too. And it really is her acting, along with the other two uh, central characters in this. All of them act well. Um, as you jump from scene to scene, but she really is the driving force behind this movie. And it, it was glorious to watch. I hope that Audrey Plaza gets to do more kind of acting driven, dialogue driven movies like this. So yeah, I really enjoyed this and I think it's fun. It, it's a bit of a brain teaser, but I think it's fun to kind of pick it apart and talk about and think about. Uh, so with that being said, I'm going to go with, um, we'll go with 85, uh, stoned script supervisors who can't seem to find the right page where the dialogue is out of a hundred. <laughs> This movie is a very weird movie. It's got like a first section and then that ends. And then they go into a second section, which is pretty much the whole rest of the movie. And it's very confusing as to why that happens. At least it was for me. And I was really bothered by it. And so I looked up an article and I read it and it explained what that, that meant. And I understood that. And it made me appreciate the movie. I I liked it more after that. My problem is though... That's homework. And I don't really like it when movies make you do homework to really kind of get what's going on or to appreciate it at the full potential of what it's supposed to be. Because I don't think it really gives away what that is in the movie. So I don't think a second watching would give you that benefit. But like you guys said, the performances are very good. The the elements they do give in each individual section work. It's just that transition between the two and the meaning behind it and everything like that. I didn't like, um, but, uh, Aubrey Plaza does great, uh, as being the main focal point of this movie. Uh, all that being said, just because I had to do homework on it, I'm giving it 75 black bears chilling by a front porch out of a hundred, uh, spoilers. Yeah. Okay, so what did you guys, like, What what is the theme of this movie to you guys? Like, why it has that first section, and then the second section similar, but key points are changed here and there type of situation. Like, what did you, what did you guys take from that? Like, as why it is? I mean, I think it, there's a couple of different things that it probably could be, but, um, one thing that it, it kind of seemed like it was to me is, um, there just seems to be this theme of like writer's block that she has. 
And but there are very similar elements to both sections of the movie. So for me, I'm thinking it could be um, this writer who is, I think, trying to work through some kind of trauma that she has had or um, experience that she has had and trying to make the best version of that for a story um, and just kind of like sort of like Jason said a little bit where it's like part of the it's trying to give you like the creative process and put together the creative process and, and what's involved with that. But I, I think that that could be one of the things. But again, you're right. It, it's not super 100% clear, at least to me, it wasn't. So that's what I got out of it, though. Jess? Um, yeah, as far as me, um, now, before I watched this, I had read just um, a couple of reviews just to kind of see what critics were saying about it and just uh, what they were saying. And so I kind of knew going in that 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 some of this was going to be like a visual look at a person's creative process when they're trying to come up with the story or develop a story or something like that. So when I'm watching this, that's kind of how I took both versions of the, the story. I feel like the story essentially is you have this writer and they're trying to come up with this idea. They're trying to come up with this new story and they don't and they've got an idea, but they don't quite know what that idea is. And maybe it's something that that writer has experienced kind of like what Heather's talking about, or maybe they just got an idea and it's, and what it felt like to me is okay. And I guess because it felt like this to me, because being somebody who has written screenplays, I've done this before. I've been this person where you've got this central idea. So she's like, okay, I've got these three characters and I know I want this love triangle. And I know that um, what's going to happen is there's going to be this love triangle and two people and the the husband is going to cheat on the wife. But I think what you're seeing is two different ways that this writer thought about arriving to this idea. So in the first one, it's idea number one. OK, well, we you have these, okay, I have these three people and I'm going to tell the story as the perspective of, okay, I've got this writer uh, who used to be this writer, but now she's this director. She used to be this actress. And now, um, and she kind of is the one who kind of infiltrates this home with this husband and wife. And she winds up being the, the, the cheater with the husband. So that's the first version you get. Then um, I think the black bear is to me what I thought that represented was writer's block. The black bear is the writer's block. So essentially what you have is like you have the, a story playing out in her head. Okay, I've got this first idea. And notice how every time you got to the black bear, what would happen? We would fade and then it would almost like the process would start over or you would get a new idea. So to me, the black bear was kind of like the writer's block or it was either writer's block or it was an idea 
an unrealized idea like she got she knew she wanted the black bear in there she knew that that's how the story was going to reach its climax or come to an end but she wasn't sure on how to actually end that story but to me I feel like it works more as writer's block like we get to a certain point in the first scenario right you know the the love triangle explodes and then the the two people the husband's cheating on the wife the wife finds out, uh-oh, what's going to happen? We got to we gotta get her. She's pregnant. We got to get her to the hospital. And what happens? The black bear shows up. It looks like there's a car crash and everything fades. And now here's a new idea. So maybe that's the writer's block. I don't know how to finish it. I know I want this black bear in here, but I'm not sure how to finish it. So then what you get on the second scenario is a much better fully realized idea from this writer. So in this one, what is it? Okay. So instead of it being this woman that comes to this resort and is getting this idea, well, now the, the, the idea of this woman coming to this cabin and everything, that is the movie now. So that's going to be the movie that we're making. But the people, the crew, that the film crew, the director and this actress, the, these and these two actresses, that's going to make up the love triangle. And now instead of my central character being the uh, the the director who's coming to visit this husband and wife. Well, now in this scenario, my my uh, my central character is an actress and the director is the husband and their husband and wife and the husband is going to cheat with the other actress who is in this in this uh movie that they're doing. So notice how you have the same idea. There's this love triangle and a husband cheating on the wife. But what you have is two different ways to approach that idea. But I don't think it's a coincidence that what happens in the second scenario, we the the cheating unfolds. And then what happens? There's a black bear. Um, we see Aubrey kind of walking into the black bear. And then what happens? It fades again. We're not quite sure how to end that story. Maybe that's the writer's block. And then at the end, we start over. And I feel like her sitting there, that's really her. Her sitting there thinking about these ideas. She walks up to her notepad and maybe now she's got the perfect idea. So the end of it is her writing down the black bear idea, which I'm assuming is now the fully realized idea. Either she's got it now and now she knows what black bear is going to be, or there is a third idea that we didn't see. And this is her starting the third idea, which hopefully is the best idea of what uh, whatever that may be. But that's how I took the movie. I felt like it was a person going through their creative process. And so you're seeing two different ideas visually played out on the screen. That's what how I took it. Well, both of you guys know how to make a motherfucker feel stupid because I didn't quite get that. I guess on the first run through with everything that that's exactly what it was. Apparently you guys are right and had touched on it. The black bear is writer's block. So the first story, she was writing it and it's, I, I think it goes back to what Heather was talking about too. I think the idea was, is that she was cheated on by her husband. So she's trying to write a movie like to cathartically get past that. 
or to work on that or deal with the, the emotional responses, everything like that. So she's writing a movie and that's the first one we get. But then she hits writer's block. And that's when you see the the bear when they're traveling down the road. And then she starts a new draft of it. And like Jess was saying, it's more fully realized. There's more aspects of it. They change the little things like it's no longer a screenwriter actress coming to, you know, be on set. It's about the same thing. Like the movie they're making is about the same thing that is the first movie. But that character is now a doctor and played by the other woman. But now she's the actress in the movie and the, the guy that was the husband, you know, was the director. And it's probably more close to what actually happened. But as they're going through everything and they get to the end, whenever he's cheating on her, she sees the black bear again. So she's like realizing it in real time. Like we're seeing her thoughts like in real time, like as she's writing this movie, you're seeing the movie come place or like take place, you know? And so then she sees the black bear and that's why it fades away again. And then it's like you get the third draft and it's, you know, she's now making it more about the black bear in a way, you know, type of situation. But I didn't really get that when I first watched it because I was looking at it at face value. So like it's going and then it stops and it starts again, but everything's a little different. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like both elements worked individually. I wasn't making the connection between the two like that. And maybe I missed something at the very beginning or something. And that's why I never made it. It just, it didn't click like that. And so when I'm watching this and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then I read an article afterwards. It was talking about what it's about with the writing process and, you know, all that stuff and the black bear being writer's block. And then I was like, oh, yeah, now now it all makes sense. But I didn't like the fact that I had to read an article. And I mean, I know, Justin, you didn't necessarily consider it homework beforehand, but you did go and read something beforehand. So I still consider it doing homework in a way that the movie didn't directly make it completely clear at face value when I watched it. And that's my negative thing about this movie is it's not 100% clear what it is from just watching the movie itself. I mean, Heather picked up on it and you may have picked it up on it, Justin, without reading those articles. We don't necessarily know, you know, but you were able to see those connective points that I didn't necessarily see until after I read that. And so I'm just saying that that's my biggest critique of this movie is that it's not, completely clear what it's doing and i think if it was i think it would have been better for it but i do like i said i liked the individual aspects of it i thought both of them worked very well that everybody gave solid performances in each of the different types of roles they were doing you know like aubrey plaza in the first in the first section is very much playing a very aubrey plaza character very twisted sense of humor very dark but still like you know, playing it with that like flirty sensuality that she does, you know, and then the what you see for most of the movie is that second part where I think that that was a very big departure from what we typically see her do. Yeah. And I thought she did very well in that. And so I'm excited to see the potential of what types of things we can get from her in the future. And it's just also kind of sad that this is a very like small movie. So the likelihood of people seeing it and seeing her potential is less. And that makes me sad because she yeah. does do a very good job. And the other two people do a fantastic job that are the main characters. You know, there's multiple people in this movie, but there's other two people that are your main, uh, like main actors in this, like to her character. And they did great jobs too. It's just 
she was the focus. Like what she was doing with this is the focus. So I'm going to like focus more on her performance than the other people's. Um, but yeah, like I said, I guess I'm fucking stupid because I didn't really see those connections. And so that's why I went and looked it up because I was like, that's just so weird to not have a purpose. And I just wanted to know what the purpose was. So, um, Heather, what about you? Like, what are your thoughts on this? Because you're you gave the least thoughts of anybody at this point. <laughs> well, I think I actually I didn't actually see that like the the bear was I didn't realize that that was supposed to symbolize the writer's block. I actually thought that that was um, kind of supposed to symbolize um, the guy, her husband, because and what kind of made me think that was towards the end, like when after she has her mental breakdown and they're laying in bed together, you know, when she's telling him, I love you, bear, I'll still love you, bear, no matter what, like she's saying all of that and she's calling him bear. And so that's kind of what made me think like, oh, maybe this bear that she keeps seeing is like, it's, it's him. It's like her, either her memory of him or it's her, you know, the thing that's like keeping her from being able to figure out how the story ends because that keeps, because he keeps coming to her mind and her love for him keeps coming to her mind. So that's actually what I thought that the bear was supposed to represent. Um, but I, I guess it's the writer's block, <laughs> but I do think that you're right in that the second version that we see of this story, I think is the one that is more true to what actually does happen. And I don't know if it was supposed to be like, you know, she wanted to try to see herself from the perspective of the cheater instead of the one who was cheated on or, you know, or just a creative process of like, you know, just trying to figure out what angle to take it from and what's going to be more interesting to tell the story that she wanted to tell. But either way, um, I do think that that second version is more true to it. And I think also just because of how vulnerable she was in that one specifically, and I just feel like that was maybe it was her as she's trying to write this thing that happened, you know, for therapeutic reasons. It was kind of showing us maybe also what actually kind of went down. Like maybe she did have this mental breakdown and, you know, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, that's kind of what I what I was thinking along the lines of what the, the bear was for. Um, but I think... Yeah, I mean, I just, I do think that she was so, so good as that vulnerable wife who is just jealous and sad and feels neglected and all of this. And I just, I think it was very interesting that the husband is, um, you know, just kind of the dialogue between them and how, you know, he would say stuff like, you know, this is what you wanted. You wanted to be in this movie and things like that where, you know, it just kind of felt like... <laughs> It was just a a very interesting look at like, you know, hey, when you creatively work together with somebody, you know, and you're, you know, like work partners also, you know, married or whatever. It just just the, the interesting entanglement that can come from that, you know, in your relationship when that's the focus, because the husband who is played by Christopher Abbott, I believe is his name. He was fantastic. Because, I mean, he had absolutely no redeemable qualities <laughs> in either version of it. And he played that part really well. Um, I've seen him in other stuff, too. He also looks a lot like Jon Snow to me. But he he was like, um, 
you know, he was just so like the work mattered way more than anything else. And just the torture that he put her through um, in that second version of like, just wanting her to think like, kind of like, um, just like mentally torturing her, like trying to just make her think that, you know, something was happening just so that she can use that creative in a creative way in the movie to make his movie better. And I'm just like, that's just as bad. Like that's a terrible thing to do, you know? And it was just a really interesting take on, you know, like the things that people will go through to, to just do the things that they're passionate about. And also where are your priorities? I mean, his wife was having this mental breakdown and she was just losing it and just at her breaking point. And he was just like, okay, you know what? Just give me one more. We're almost done with this movie. And I understand like they spent all of their money to make this movie happen, but he was just, it, that was his sole focus, you know? And, and you just see little things where he's becoming that guy that just, it's, it's all about him. I mean, even having that, you know, the assistant or whoever, like he had her just like, putting food in his hand, like feeding him food almost. And it was just these little things where he's turning into this guy and everybody on the crew sees it. You know, they're all just kind of like, you know, when she has her mental breakdown, they're all just kind of like, okay, <laughs> this is too much. And that's why I think part of that was playing out for us. Maybe what actually happened in the situation, because you actually see point of views from the other characters more in that one. Um, so, and I, I could be wrong on that. That's just kind of in my mind how that worked, but, um, but it's just, it's a very interesting and unique story, but weird is also a good word for it, you know? So, um, but yeah, I was just kind of taking the black bear as a way for her, just not, not knowing how to get past a certain point, like deciding, like, I can't get past this point. So I'm stopping here dealing with it, with the black bear or, you know, with her, either her relationship and what happened or how to proceed from there, even personally for her, maybe. So I just feel like there's so many directions that could have gone and you're right. It's not clear. So it's a lot of speculation until you actually look up what it is. Give us some more, Justin. No, you got it. <laughs> well, um, just to comment a little bit more on uh, Aubrey and yeah, her acting, during that second part, um, my favorite part of that was just the whole drunken tirade that she sort of went on and then how that segued into her acting that scene. I mean, there were just so many layers there because you have this person who was actually hurt because she felt like she could sense that her director husband was cheating on her. So there was pain there. But then she also had to act being drunk but then she was also acting out an acting the acting out of another scene whilst drunk pretending to try to act out this scene while yet harnessing these feelings of hurt that she was supposed to have behind the situation with her husband and doing all of that in one scene, but then losing it, but then still trying to be this person who is doing this acting that that's there's a lot there, like in that performance, there's a lot going on. And she just nailed all of that. So I just uh, 
couldn't tout that scene enough. That was just so memorable to me because the more I thought about it, I was like, man, there is a lot going on with this actress in that particular scene. And Aubrey just nailed all of that. Just all the pain and being drunk and trying to act, but then doing the acting, but then the acting has to look like she's actually feeling this way because she does feel this way. I mean, that is a lot, I feel like, to ask someone to act out. And she just absolutely killed it. So I just wanted to kind of specifically put uh, in there um, just how that scene made me feel and how that made me go, wow, man, just imagine what Aubrey could do with the right director and a few more scripts. And if somebody just really gives her the opportunity to do some acting, I mean, cause that was a pretty layered performance that she was doing there that had just all these layers to it. And she just nailed it. So yeah, man, I really hope that like you both said, I really hope that she can get some more work after this. Uh, as far as the movie, I just agree with um, a, a lot of what you say, a lot of what you both have said. And yeah, who knows? Maybe I kind of got lucky. Maybe because I read those reviews and kind of knew what I was going into. Maybe it did make you know, I, I so maybe I caught on to those things because I knew that it was something about a creative process. So when the story changed, I was kind of like, hmm, the story's changing. And then as it was going along and I was seeing that kind of the same thing was happening, but the roles were a bit different. And now the the, the first script or the first idea was now the movie and now we have we're we're going outside of it though and now we've got these different characters and different roles but kind of the same thing is happening I went oh this is the second idea this is the better idea of the two and that's why it plays out so it just it just clicked and I think maybe it was because I had read um, some of those reviews and just hearing somebody, even though they didn't spoil it for me, hearing them say, what a great visualization of the creative process. I just, it, it, I just, I guess it just, that just helped me figure it out. So I get what you're saying. And I don't know, man, uh, as far as that whole thing about like, um, knowing things going in before a movie and should you have to and shouldn't you? Uh, I, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of conflicted on that because I do think that some movies are better if you do kind of know what the point of it is going in. I, I think that that's, I don't know if that's necessarily a knock against the movie or not. I mean, I guess if, um, I, I guess I could see how you could be maybe given minus points for that because should it all just be in the movie and fit nicely in a boat where I can understand it? I, I get that. I, I definitely get that. Should I have had to have known going in that this is the concept that it's about? Yeah, I, I get that. But I don't know, man. I think that there are just some movies that are just like that. I, I don't know if every movie is meant to be watched blind, so to speak, like that, or is meant to be watched at face value like that. I think that sometimes movies 
just you, you know sometimes they're a good watch when you go in blind but when you know what it's really about it's a great watch i mean sometimes i think knowing a few things going in does help your your movie experience you know but i think that kind of goes with anything like if you read the comic books before you watch a comic book movie you probably will you're going to catch some things whether you enjoy it more or not is up to the person but you are definitely going to recognize some things you're definitely going to catch some things you're definitely going to kind of understand some things that a comic watcher wouldn't um you know i just think anytime you have any kind of prior knowledge like that you're you're it's probably going to in some way enhance your movie experience and i just don't know if it's always up to the movie to give you that. Some things are fun to just go back behind and figure out. Some things are fun. It's okay if you don't get it the first time and you have to go and find some more stuff out and go, okay, well, now that I get it, I like it more. I think that's fine too. I think I do that all the time. And I don't know if that's I don't know if that's the movie's fault more than it was just me not catching things. Um, I, I don't know how much to fault the movie for that all the time. So I guess I'm just kind of the the middle of the road with that. But yeah, but but I will say this. Yes, if you you need to watch it, though, under the lens that this is about the creative process. And if you're a creative person, if you're a person who's ever had to do this or perform or do anything like that, then dude, this is going to be right up your alley. Um, and you're going to like notice things. You're going to see things right away that are just funny. Some of the conversations that they were having on set or things they would talk about in between takes. Yeah, I've totally been there. Like some of this is just going to reach, I think, people who have experience in those fields, they're going to get this, I think, a little bit faster than your average moviegoer. I, I, I admit that. I think that is a fair assessment. And it's true. I mean, maybe you could figure it out going in blind, but, you know, but to Sterling's point, I think it does help to kind of know that that's the concept that they're going for. But 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 I don't know how much I want to fault the movie for that. I think that, you know, is it any different than when you sit down and you're going to a stage play and somebody kind of explains to you what the play is about before you watch it? Or is it or gives you like a synopsis or says this is about a journey into the mind of a crazy man and now we're going to go on this journey. So you know already you're in the mind of a crazy man. So you're watching these things play play out so you kind of know okay this guy's crazy so let me go with it and see what it is or I like when a movie says that this is going to be you know sometimes movies tell you straight up as it starts this is going to be dumb or the preview will say you know you can tell by a preview that this movie is not going to be serious so I mean if you didn't have that, could you have gone into the movie and still enjoyed it? I don't know. I, I just think it goes both ways. And I'm going to stop now because I don't know if 
any of that made sense. But I guess all I'm trying to say is I'm just so in the middle with that because I do think some movies are better when you take the time to kind of learn about what it is or what it's about before you go in. And then I think other movies um, are you don't you don't necessarily have to do that. But I don't know if your experience. I mean, I, I just think that you should always kind of try to know what what it's about or who's in it or you know who's the director you know i think those are always things we kind of do before we or maybe it's just me i can't say everybody i i I, those are just things i often do before i watch a movie i want to know okay well who's in it well what are some of the supporting actors in it what what is this about you know what what is a synopsis of this who's directing this okay martin scorsese okay so i know what kind of movie this is about to be you know I, i do that all the time so maybe that's why it's kind of hard for me to say is the movie at fault you know what i mean maybe well, that's what it is okay I, I i get all that but the synopsis doesn't say that either like i've got two different synopsises of this movie there and this is why i think it's an inherent flaw in the structure of the movie and not just something like that because there's one synopsis is or a synopsis that says a filmmaker at a creative impasse seeks solace from her tumultuous past past at a rural retreat only to find that the woods summon her inner demons in intense and surprising ways. That's also the plot of the first section of the movie. Yeah. So that's a synopsis. It doesn't give anything, like I said, about the writing process type of situation. You get what I'm saying? Like, and then another one is at a remote lake house in the Adirondack mountains, a couple entertains an out of town guest looking for inspiration in her filmmaking. The group quickly des- uh, quickly falls into a calculated game of desire, manipulation, and jealousy, unaware of how dangerously convoluted their lives will soon become in the filmmaker's pursuit of a work of art, which blurs the boundaries between auto uh, autobiography and invention, which also just tells the plot of the first section of the movie. So that's my point with it, is it's not the, the synopsis. Like, I didn't look for a synopsis. The synopsis still just doesn't say what it is. The the synopsis just gives the plot of the first part of the movie. You know, that's what I'm saying with it is, is it still to find out what the movie is and why it has that break it has and stuff like that is a mystery within the movie itself. And to me, that's a story problem. That's a structure problem. That's a directorial problem because it's kind of like writing a book and then the sequel is a movie and not a book. So you can't just watch the movie without reading the book. Like it's that weird type of divide. Like I understand what you're saying. You want at least a base level of information, but the base level information that is supplied for this movie still doesn't cover that. So you need an actual in-depth thing. You need an article or review or something saying writing process, creative process, this or that to really fully get this movie. And that's to me why it's homework is it's not base level information of like, who's in it, an actor or the director or this or that, like that aspect of it is whether it's purposefully or not, is not readily available with the base level stuff. It requires more work. 
and for a movie, I think that that's that's not a good thing, you know. I mean, one movie I kind of like, but I still I still fault for it is a movie called The Southland Tales, and that's because it's like a six part story arc, and the movie's parts four, five, and six, and so much of it ties into parts one, two, and three, which were done in a graphic novel. So I'm like, yeah, I can fault the movie for being vague with some of these things and not having clear backstories or motivations for these characters, because as far as the movie was concerned, that's all explained before. It's not like star Wars where star Wars. Yeah. You start with episode four with a new hope, but the characters it focuses on are new to that story arc, you know? Well, yes, you have Darth Vader and his backstory is not explained in this and stuff like that. And Obi-Wan's story is not explained in it. The main focuses of the movies are Luke, Leia, and Han, and they are new to it. So it works in that manner. You can come into the middle of the story because the main focus of the middle part are characters that you're finding then. So it becomes self-contained in its own way. Whereas with this, if you don't read that and like see you know, creative process or writing process, the movie doesn't really do enough to get away with that. When it could simply be fixed by an opening slight monologue. When she's sitting there on the dock and walks, you know, to the table and shit, they could have some inner dialogue that just says something about wanting to write a story or something. Bam, problems fixed. No more issues. It's easily done in this movie. They just don't do it. And that's why I fault them for it. Okay. I get some of that. Yeah. I see some of that. Because I do agree. If the plot synopsis said that, all right, then then it would have been on me. You know what I mean? But I do read the plot synopsis of movies. This one just, unfortunately, like I said, they always described that first little part. In every plot synopsis I read, it just said that. So, you know what I mean? <laughs> so when I get that, when the movie's going and I'm 100% getting that and then it stops and then transitions into something else. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. You know, because even the trailer, because so much of the story has the same characters in both parts and has similar themes and similar stuff going on. If you watch the trailer, you still don't get it because you see that plot synopsis of this person who is an actor, writer, director, person, Going to, you know, this cabin where a couple lives to, you know, get away to try to, like, recollect stuff and, like, figure stuff out and to write something. But then the trailer makes it look like, oh, she just then starts filming that movie there. And there's, like, a love triangle and shit goes crazy and all that other stuff. You know what I mean? That's what the trailer even makes it look like. That you're getting that first part of the story, but then she also then makes that movie, too, while there type of situation. And that's why you see the same characters and all this other stuff, you know, and it looks more like a love triangle because like you see the guy that's the husband to the other woman at the beginning, but then you see them like cuddling in bed in the trailer, which is from the second part, because in the second part, they're the couple, you know what I mean? So you, yeah. you get that weird back and forth. So it feels even more like a love triangle from the trailer, whereas both of the love triangles that actually are formed in both parts of this movie are actually very short-lived or at the very beginning of it. You know, the trailer makes it seem like it's this dark and 
like it was like the one synopsis said convoluted and inner like inner like tangled like mess of a love triangle because it goes on for so long nah these are just like they just started fucking literally in both love triangles they just started fucking like literally just started the sex so the love triangle literally just starts and ends at the same time you know so it's not like it just said it's slightly misdirected but you don't get really the reasons why from the movie itself and i just think one like little line of dialogue or one little fucking inner monologue is just something you could have done that would have clarified it right at the beginning and it would have just been smooth sailing for the rest of the movie and everything else in the movie is the exact same it would have just worked a little better but and i think maybe the part of it i guess that might have confused me is the fact that her as a writer is also the same setting as her in the first movie and is also the same setting for the second like review like it's all the same situation it's all the same fucking bathing suit it's all the same exact everything so it doesn't necessarily visually differentiate any difference of those scenes either or those sections either they all just visually like even the fucking color palette everything everything's the exact same so you don't even get a visual sense that one part is real life and the other part's a story or anything you know so I guess yeah. that that's that's why I put it on the as, as the fault of the filmmakers on this. Okay, I, I get I get some of what you're saying, and like I said, I guess I just got lucky. I guess it was just one of those where I read the right thing, and so it just you know who knows maybe if I hadn't read that I would have felt the same way you did, or maybe it not have gotten it as quickly or maybe not have interpreted it as accurately you know if had i not read that specific thing about the writing process so who knows i mean maybe and and it, and if you can't figure it out and i get what you're saying as far as that if you can't figure it all out from by based on what the movie gives you then should that movie be is it not as good of a movie because you weren't able to figure it out, you know? And I definitely get that, that question, that argument, that issue with the film. So I get where you're coming from for sure. I mean, cause like whenever I got finished with that movie, I literally Googled what happened in the movie black bear. Cause I was like, what the fuck was that? Like, so that's what I Googled. I didn't even like Google anything else like black bear reviews or anything. No, I Googled, what happened in the movie Black Bear and ended up like finding an article that broke it down and shit. It was talking about like the writing process and like it even broke it down further to like in the first section. Day one is this day two is this day three is this in the second section. Day one's this two, three, like it breaks it down hardcore. But I was just like, oh, if somebody like it, like if I had literally just gotten anything that said writing process, I would have seen it. You know what I mean? Because as soon as I read that. The movie clicked in my head. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that switch went off and I was like, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, it all makes sense. Like okay. as soon as that part, I was just all makes sense. Like I just needed that one connective fiber for it to all work. And that's why I guess that's why I'm sad it's not in the movie because it's one thing. You know what I mean? It's one thing that was needed. It wasn't like, oh, I needed a backstory on this character and this character. And like this wasn't it. like it was one thing is all I needed. And you're like, oh, no, it's totally there. 
even if even if I just got something that said Black Bears writer's block, I could have pieced it together then. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, yeah, even if so, if you didn't want to do an inner monologue at the beginning to take away from that scene. Cool. First scene, whenever they bring or in that first section of the movie, when they bring up writer's block, if Aubrey Plaza's character said something like, yeah, when I'm writing into my head, every time writer's block happens, I see it's it's like a black bear. Just say that in that dialogue. Yeah. Would have clicked. Yeah. Or she could have even been vaguer than that. It, it could have just been a clue. Like she says, she could have said something like, well, I always get to this one event and then I just don't know how to finish the story. You know, it could have been some something to give you a clue. Then maybe you could have put it together that, oh, the event is the bear. Because we always stop yeah. at the bear. We stop at the bear two times. And she maybe she, if she could have even been vague about the uh, the event. So that way you're not just spoon feeding the audience. But yeah, if she could have said, you know, I just get to this one part and I just don't know how to finish it or I just don't know what to do once I get to this one event and maybe a character could have asked well what 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 event are you talking what part is that you know maybe it, I could help and she's like oh no that's just not how I do things you know she could have changed the subject done some Audrey Plaza maneuvering and got out of it so but still you give the audience that clue you know yeah, I mean, I think the closest they got to doing that was, you know, when she was like, oh, so this is this your process or whatever. And then basically saying something along the lines of, yeah, this like writer's block happens to me all the time. You know, she said something to that effect of, you know, pretty much every time I try to write, I get it. Um, and I think mm -hmm. that's the closest they got, but it was still a little too vague for you to catch on to that's what that meant. But I think that's yeah. probably the closest they got to doing that. But yeah, even just a line about, yeah, there's just something in my mind that, you know, as soon as I get to uh, this brick wall, like something happens and then it's like I have to do a reset or something like that. Yeah, I think you're right, Sterling, that that one thing would have made like a huge difference in just it clicking immediately and not everybody having to be like, okay, what is this about? Because even if I kind of was getting on to some of the like illusions and all of the, what it was alluding to, I wasn't completely sure. So I of course had to, you know, look up articles too, to see what was going on. But yeah, it's just there. And there's so many different ways that you could have taken the symbolism and what certain things meant and what happened. So yeah, one line like that would have made a huge difference. But I mean, even even when they were talking about writer's block and the wife said something like, oh, well, what's the writer's block for you? And she could have just said, oh, like a black bear. And they would have looked at her like what? And she was like, I'm fucking stoned. What do you want? You still could have like played into right. the Aubrey Plaza yeah. character that like, you know, play it off as in like she just said something weird. And they're like, what? And she's like, I'm fucking stoned. What the fuck do you want from me? Like and then played into that character trait more in that section or just something. Or I think the other way to fix it is to have more stories instead of one short one and one long one. Kind of have it happen more than twice. Yeah. You know, have one that's like super short where she like starts and it's like she's just like walking somewhere and sees the black bear like right at the beginning, you know, and she's like, nope, that's not it. You know what I mean? Something like that would have played better. I think just if you're going to play it and not say it directly like that or even allude to it like that, do it more times then. 
show it like with what she said it happens to me all the time yeah i think twice isn't really enough of an all the time you know yeah yeah you know like i said you could have one where she's like oh she's just walking up to the house for the first time and like sees the bear on the side of the house and just like then you see her be like nope that's not it you know what i mean just something even quick like that just to show that process in her head that like she's started down this one aspect of the story, but knew like right from the beginning, it was the wrong path to go down. You know, it's just for that to be like the defining factor in the namesake of the movie and everything. It happened twice. And I just think it could have worked better if you, if you don't want to say it outright or don't want to give more of an illusion through dialogue, then show it more times. Like, you know, go down that route to where then it becomes like a twilight zonian type of thing where you're seeing this this type of story start and stop like four or five times you know and it's like they almost did it with um like whenever they're trying to like carry her out and then like they're outside and they hear the bear um like the the cast and the crew or the crew i mean you know where they're just like oh do you hear that bear so it's almost like now looking back you you realize like that's probably like oh she almost she almost lost what she wanted to do here and then she didn't. But like, even if they had done that, you know, they could have split it off there and made that into a third story at that point, you know? But, um, yeah, that's, that is true. Cause doing it twice is just, and maybe that was, you know, maybe they wanted it to not be as obvious, you know, but at the same time, yeah, just that one little piece of information of knowing like what this movie is supposed to be about just changes everything. So well, I, I kind of like what you just said there, Heather, with the whole like, oh, they mentioned the bear, like, you know, that writer's block's coming, you know? Yeah. What if at that point they showed the bear and then literally right after that, they go back like it resets like five minutes, but they change yeah. something. You know what I mean? Like she starts to go down a path and she's like, nope, that's not it. This is it. You know, get that aspect of the change. Like where she knows intuitively in her head going down the path she's going on will lead to writer's block, you know, so change it a little bit, change that direction to then try to avoid it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like little things like that, I think would have helped, you know, I guess if, I like was... you said, they didn't want to outright say it because like, like you said, once you find out that that black bear is writer's block, it's all those little things all make sense. Yeah. Like you were talking about, like, oh, do you hear that bear? It's like she knows that maybe it's creeping up on her. You know, little things like that. It all makes sense. As soon as you know that. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know, I guess I'm just still wondering, like, why in that that one moment of the movie when they're like, you know, laying down together in bed, she calls him bear. I guess I'm just wondering why that was part of that. I don't know. It could be like a playful acknowledgement of writer's block and like Mm. her process and stuff like that. Like by putting a symbol to it and then also using it for the name. Yeah. Type of situation. It's, it could be like a playful acknowledgement of that, you know, because essentially this is a movie about writer's block. So it's like, how did you get out of writer's block? Oh, I wrote a movie about it. You know? Yeah. It's that's true. And so when they put a symbol to it, it's like that playful acknowledgement of it that, you know, it's about writer's block. So it's like, since this story is also about writer's block, 
it's like acknowledging her symbol is that and that's like her pet name for her husband type of situation yeah mm. or maybe mm. an acknowledgement that like he's he's what caused the writer's block i don't know <laughs> there's so many different different things you can interpret with it and see in that aspect of it's fine i'm okay with different ways of interpreting stuff like that it's just I don't see how yeah. anybody really would have just gotten, oh, yeah, this is about writer's block just from watching the movie. Totally. Yeah. And I just don't see how a second session would have helped without knowing that. You know what I mean? Like, if the, that was clear in the movie, even if you find it out kind of later in the movie and you find it out, then it gives it a rewatch value because you're like, oh, I can rewatch it and see all the things that I didn't see before. And they all make more sense or something like that. You would because this movie is interesting enough with its performances and stuff like that to warrant a rewatch. You know, it it has enough there to grasp you and make you want to watch it. It just I just like I said, I don't like that there was homework involved to make that part clear. Yeah. Any other thoughts on this movie, guys? No, I'm good. Nope. <laughs> well, on that note, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out. On the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com or on Facebook at Cinema Slayers Podcast or Twitter and Instagram where we are cinema underscore slayers. Uh, if you can, leave us a rating and review or just tell your friends about us, all that other stuff. All those things help us out immensely when it comes to all that stuff. And I find out if you're like an avid listener and you haven't given us a rating review, I might start name dropping you on the podcast like I did with Kurt when I was like saying, fuck you, Kurt on a few episodes because I knew he listened all the time and he wasn't leaving us a rating and review, but he ended up leaving this one. So I stopped saying, fuck you, Kurt on all the episodes. I'm never saying it again. And I never have ever <laughs> since he did it. I have never once said, fuck you, Kurt on a single episode ever again, because I'm a man of conviction and I would never do that to somebody like Kurt because it might've hurt his feelings when I said, fuck you, Kurt on like a few episodes. So I would never say that again. <laughs> and I have stuck with it. It's just never happened in the history of ever since he gave us a rating and review. So that'd be really awesome if you guys can do that. And this has been a really long episode. So just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. And have yourself a Fuck See, now it sounds like you're delusional, Justin, because this episode comes out after Christmas. Oh. Haha, <laughs> thwarted by your Christmas songs. <laughs>